BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called patreon.com slash BP show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Good morning, everyone. This is The Bill Press Show. I am Evan McMorris Santoro of Vice News, filling in for Bill today. We have a great, great show for you. We have over the next two hours, we're going to have some great reporters talking about some great stories they've been writing. We got Elise Foley from the Huffington Post. I guess we call it HuffPost now. So we have HuffPost Elise Foley. Uh, we have Cameron Joseph from TPM, which is where I used to work, uh, a great reporter. has done some really interesting reporting about the race in Alabama. And uh, Ben Terrace, a good buddy of mine from the Washington Post, who's been writing all about the upcoming presidential election. So I know we just had one. We're going to talk <laughs> about the next one. And, uh, of course, I'm here with uh, Peter Ogburn. Oh, Evan. And everybody else here from the show. It's it's great to be back in the hosting chair. I have not done this in this new two-hour format. I was just saying, I, I don't think I've seen you in like over a year. The last two times you've been on the show, I was out, either for vacation or because I was busy dying. Right. But- well, I told, I mean, what I said was, I said, I will never come back and do this show again, except for one of two things. You get Ben Terrace on the show, Deal. or... Peter Ogburn almost dies. Yeah. One so, of those two things had to so, happen, and it turned out they both slotted in. We made it happen. And here I am. <laughs> what has to be done? <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, um, I, I haven't. And last time I hosted, I was uh, I was still a reporter at BuzzFeed. Now I'm at uh, Vice News tonight on HBO, which is you can watch uh, every weeknight at 7:30 p.m. talking about politics, and we do a lot of great documentary style reporting. So so that's a little plug for my colleagues over there. Um, Let's let's just get into this show. I think we have a lot of good. This has been a busy busy week last week and a busy weekend this weekend. So let's just jump right in. Um, do it. Do it a little butt first. Yes. Here we go. Yes. Just a couple of other stories making news over the weekend. More bad news for Harvey Weinstein. The uh, Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences expelled him. This is of course this of course is the big group behind the Oscars, which he has. A lot of influence over. A lot of Oscars, too. A lot, and a lot of Oscars. The 54-member board of governors, which includes such big names as Steven Spielberg, Tom Hanks, Kathleen Kennedy, Whoopi Goldberg. They had an emergency meeting on Saturday morning to remove Weinstein from the organization's ranks. So he is no longer a part of the organization. Which I is mean, a big, which is a big deal. It is a big deal, and it seems like it's probably the right move to make based on what we now know about Harvey Weinstein. But, you know, somebody noted on social media that, you know, Mel Gibson's still in. 
Sure. Just yeah, FYI. it's a good start, but there's probably at least like 75 to 100 more men that should be kicked out. Yeah, yeah I mean, if, he ain't if the we're going to de-dirt bag the, uh, the, the academy, yeah. it's gonna be, you're going to need a bigger, a bigger Dyson. Yeah, you know? absolutely. <laughs> anyway, okay. uh, remember the name Larry Flint? He's still around, the uh, porn mogul. Well, he took out I can't the, believe he's still alive. How old I is he now? I can't either. I can't either. I'm, I'm so upset Bill's not here for this. Looks trip. like Al Davis in his final days. Because Bill is actually good friends with Larry Flint. Bill knows Larry Flint. Of course he is. Very well. Fairly well, well. Bill did share that he spent a, a lot of time at the uh, Playboy Mansion. Uh, yeah, that's when, right. When Hefner died, he told some stories. Bill so. just shuttled between the Playboy Mansion hanging out with Larry Flint. Yeah. Bill's a big fan of smut peddlers in general. <laughs> Makes sense. Again, why I'm guest hosting the show today. <laughs> so, so, so Larry Flint is still around, and over the weekend he offered 10 million dollars to anybody that has any dirt on Donald Trump that would lead to his impeachment or removal from office. This is an addition to what Larry Flynn has had for years, which is this standing offer of, I believe, a million dollars for any uh, information on any one of these uh, uh, conservative members of Congress who he thinks are being hypocrites about their conservative stuff. He says he'll give you money if you can prove that they have done something yeah, I mean, he's not, critical. it's not all about, you know, putting out um, pornographic magazines for him. He's a political guy, and he hates Republicans. Right, so the P-tape is now worth $10 million. <laughs> <Pretty much. laughs> that's well, well, that's, that's what we're telling you. Like, if the, if this dossier actually does come to light at some point, is that worth $10 million? I mean, he would have to sort of give that person... The P-tape does. is definitely worth $10 million. Oh, look, absolutely. I would pay $10 million not to watch it, probably. <laughs> yeah. Let's just be perfectly honest about this. If it's out there, though, it could be worth some money. So I'm just I'm amazed that Larry Flint is still this active in politics. All right, well, let's take our first break. Um, this is Evan McMurray Santoro, guest hosting the Bill Press Show. We'll be right back. your radio on tv and online this is the bill press show good morning once again evan mcmorris santoro of vice news filling in for bill press this morning it's monday a lot of stuff has happened over the weekend a lot of things happened near the end of the week last week because that's the news cycle that we live in now nothing ever stops it never slows down we're talking about a hurricane that might actually come into ireland i mean everything is completely topsy-turvy these days so uh, let's get right into it. Uh, Peter Ogburn. Hey, Evan. So, again, I, as I was saying, now we're on this new format, so I'm still trying to get my hands around this new two-hour format, which I like. I think, it's, I think you guys got a lot of it. It's much more jam-packed. I like it like this. We cover a lot more ground this way, I think, which is good. Because, like you said, the news cycle is a horror show. Well, no matter where you fall on the political spectrum, it's just it's just an avalanche of news constantly. There was an article in the New York Times magazine this weekend about how teens are suffering from anxiety. Like it's, it's, it's no longer depression is the big problem with teens today. It's anxiety wow. because they're all anxious about things all the time. And it, it struck me that like you could probably blow that out. It's not just about teens. Like everybody you talk to, everyone is like my phone and its various uh, um, news alerts is just a constant source of anxiety and stress. You know? Yeah. No, I, 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 as the father of an almost teenager, that's a real thing. Is, is he full of anxiety? He's full of anxiety. And it's also like I have to bring my work home with me sometimes. Like mm-hmm. I have to watch cable news and we have to talk about stuff. And oh boy, is it bleak? <laughs> <laughs> it is. I mean, look, 
I, I, so what should we what should we talk about then? Should we jump right in and just talk about some of this new stuff that we've been looking at? Like talk about what something that some that what Trump did over the weekend. Talk a little bit about that. Well, he played a lot of golf over the weekend. He did play a lot of golf, which he does do. Yeah. But he also visited um, the Values Voter Summit. Yeah. Which is the you know it's sort of the remaining of the Christian right. Uh, it's big annual summit. So the the two I big find the summit fascinating. Oh, it's it's definitely the good one. Like the. the <laughs> like, like of the two big conservative summits that happen every year, there's CPAC and there's the Values Voter Summit. Yeah. Um, there's also something else called Faith and Freedom, which is another sort of uh, Christian conservative one. But this is, President Trump was the first sitting president to address this Values Voter Summit. And of course actually, he was. Yeah. And actually, you know, Trump has got a lot of uh, credibility with the evangelicals, which is a quite an interesting, unexpected part of his presidency, that evangelical Christians really like Donald Trump. They like him for... His people who he nominated for the Supreme Court, uh, they like Gorsuch. They like um, his. They like Mike Pence. They like a lot of things that he's doing with Jeff Sessions. Um, and so Trump goes and gives them the kind of uh, red meat that they like. He's, I mean, we're talking about. I mean, it is. You know, I'm kind of annoyed that we are. We're already seeing Halloween decorations up. Yeah. It's only October 16th, <laughs> yeah. but Trump is already moving right along to the next holiday season. You go to department stores and they'll say Happy New Year and they'll say other things and it'll be red. They'll have it painted, but they don't say, well, guess what? We're saying Merry Christmas again. Oh, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Remember it? The Uh. war on Christmas. It is beginning earlier and earlier every year. (laughs) The war on Christmas. I feel like we just took down our war on Valentine's Day decorations. (laughs) And the war on Christmas has already begun. Did did you miss Christmas last year? It just totally passed me by. We've stopped saying Christmas. We've stopped acknowledging Christmas. I had no idea. It was December 25th, and I was at the grocery store, and I go, oh, my God, it's Christmas. It missed me. Well, I wish well, that yes. somebody had said it to me. <laughs> yeah, because no one said it to me. Because <laughs> I had no idea it was Christmas. This this whole idea of and and, and like I grew up in an, in an evangelical family. I grew up in the South. It's like we went to church like seven times a week. But like, the wait, I, you're leaving one part out. Go ahead. You were in a religious themed band, weren't you? I was in the, I was in a regionally famous Southern gospel band. What was yes. it called? The Master Singers. The Master Singers. Yes. Oh, that's not as good as like Puddle of Mud or whatever. <laughs> like the old ones. Right, 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 the right. Old, right. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. Okay. So, but like, this to me is not new of this sort of victimization of Christians. And I, and I don't want to be flip about it either. Like, right. I understand that these that these people, my my people, my family, right. uh, have real concerns about, you know, Judeo-Christians not being the dominant people in this country, right? But at the same time, like, to say that there is a war on Christmas, I mean... Well, it's not... I mean, look, the thing is, it's demonstrably not the case, right? It's right. been used for a long... It's, at, at this point, it's actually been, it's become kind of a self parody of itself, which is that sort of like everybody knows, Bill, uh, that uh, Fox News is going to do it every year and have this conversation about it. And all. I mean, I don't know if it'll happen so much with O'Reilly gone, who's a big uh, like guy that talked about this a lot. But it does speak to the fact that this is one of the reasons why this president sort of in an unexpected way has found that the uh, evangelical right, uh, the white Christian right wing of this country is extremely on board with this president. And this yeah. is this is one of the reasons. He goes down there, he talks to them, he knows what he's supposed to say, right? I mean, you think about when he goes to the Boy Scout Jamboree, the speech is about like, hey, 
Maybe there was a, this thing on a boat, and there was like some other dudes there. I mean, I, you kids, we probably shouldn't talk about this boat orgy or whatever it was. But like, he goes to the Values Voter Summit, and he gives them exactly what they want. And this yeah. is and and this stuff is really important to them. And like I said, it's quite fascinating because when because when we talk about where this president is at, and we talk about some of the promises that he made that he struggled to make happen. Yeah, people who think he has lived up to his promise a lot are these evangelical voters. And they think so because of the Supreme Court and, they, and because of Mike Pence and because of, you know, the uh, rollback of some of the transgender uh, rights expansions, trying to throw them out of the military, all these things that this president has done. It's one of those interesting dynamics as we move forward into the next election cycle, which we're going to be talking about a bit today when Ben comes on and when uh, Cam comes on. Uh, we're going to be talking about sort of the fact that we're moving into an election in which these kinds of issues are still going to be on the table, and Trump has got like he's got the the message on that. Whether or not he's actually good at it, it looks like he's good at it. You know, on those issues, and that's the thing about Trump. That's why this this whole sort of uh, image of a politician that can shape shift uh, is what we hate. Eh, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, it works I mean, look, out. say what you will about Trump, and, and I'm really trying to be very generous about Trump, and not sure. not not trying to. Just beat the hell out of him. Yep. But Donald Trump, pick any issue, and he has taken every side of that issue. Like, just look at his tweets, right? Like, anytime that he comes out and says yes, something the, yeah. about whatever. It's the best meme in the world. You can find a tweet that has something to do. Yeah. Like, that golfing, completely don't contradicts golf. what he said yeah, right. two, two mm-hmm. hours ago, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But, like, apparently there are a lot of people who are okay with that. Well, actually, I saw. I remember I saw a poll that showed, like, the, you know, like uh, under Obama, the evangelicals' uh, number one issue in the president was character, and then after Obama, it was like the eighth most popular. Like, they they, <laughs> they just want to get things done that they want done. But yeah. anyway, Trump wasn't the only guy to from that world uh, to address the Values Voter Summit. We also had Steve Bannon, who's emerging as uh, now that he's done with the White House, is emerging as kind of this new Republican primary guru um so steve bannon also spoke at the values voter summit and i hate to break the news to Graydon carter and the folks good folks at vanity fair but yes president trump's not only going to finish this term he's going to win with 400 electoral votes in 2020 right because is when it 1996 you are... well not just that not just that but who is sitting around? Okay, so these people have come from all. Let me explain to you what the Values Voter Summit is. People <laughs> who are evangelical, uh, political <laughs> leaders, organizers, activists. They come from all over the country. They come to the Omni Shoreham Hotel here in Washington D.C. Yeah. They and they, they listen to a lot of speeches from politicians. I want to get how many of those people are sitting in their houses and they're and and, and they're getting up early for that early flight into D.C.A. and they're like. <laughs> I, I really hope we stick it to Graydon Carter. I hate to break the news to Graydon Carter. Graydon Carter. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. Like, I understand, like, if they mention Rachel Maddow or sure. some sort of liberal media figure. Graydon Carter, the now retiring editor of Vanity Fair magazine. It's unbelievable. This is the funny thing about Steve Bannon is that you're in this world in which Steve Bannon is also a media figure of him, uh, of his own. So Steve Bannon is a guy who loves to talk about this stuff. Like, he, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, he he loves to talk about the media and media figures. And this is just sort of like the kind of thing you can imagine being said at like the bar at night. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's just so yeah, weird yeah. to imagine going yeah. on stage and being like, Graydon Carter. We're gonna stick it to Graydon We're Carter. We're going after him. And I hope yeah. he's a remnant here. <laughs> 
<laughs> Ask ten people at the Values Voter Summit who is Graydon Carter. That's what I'm. That's my point. And nobody would know. That's my point. I don't even think he mentioned the actual report that he was referring to, which was Doesn't Gabe matter. Sherman's report in Vanity Fair right. that. Supposedly, Bannon said Trump is. Oh, there's only a thirty percent chance, right, that Trump will be able to see out his term. Right, and let's and and, and and Trump pu- and Bannon pushed back on that really hard, which is like so. It wasn't just Graydon Carter he was talking about. He's also pushing back on this notion that Trump is struggling. There's a time and season for everything, and right now it's a season of war against a GOP establishment. That's right. He mentioned that, but didn't he also wow. say something about he thinks he he predicted Trump's 2020 margin? Jamie? Oh, yeah, that's the same clip. And the folks, good folks at Vanity Fair. But yes, President Trump's not only going to finish this term, he's going to win with 400 electoral votes in 2020. 400 electoral votes in 2020. He had 306, uh, as the president will mention uh, many times if you ever talk to him. Um, and uh, but now he's gonna have four hundred. So this is this is the whole point. Is that a lot of this is about you know this is what Bannon has been doing. Bannon has been going around the country. He's threatening to primary literally every single sitting incumbent senator who's a Republican who is going to run for office, uh, run run for reelection. He's threatened to primary them all with right wing opponents to give Trump backup because the belief about a guy like Bannon is that uh, Trump still has a lot of momentum, which is something that you know. A lot of people inside this city don't believe is true. They they believe they believe he's lost a lot of momentum. But this is the reason for Trump's appearance at something like the Values Voter Summit, and the reason for Bannon's appearance at something like the Values Voter Summit. These are the voters who they cannot afford to lose because they have, um, they still believe in Trump. These voters and these are, these are the people that, that 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 they need to keep motivated. And this is what they're saying. They're saying, you know, we're going to fight the war on Christmas. We're going to fight Graydon Carter on the beaches, and we're going to get those 400 electoral votes. Is there anything that Trump could do to lose these voters at this point? I mean, I think, honestly, if you look at what he's tried—I mean, obviously anything can happen, right? But 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 but, but what's happened so far is that this he's done a lot to really give them what they want. I mean, he, I mean, he, he really has. He, he's been an effective president if you're an evangelical sure. Christian voter. And, sure. and 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 I and I think it's a quiet story of his presidency because we often talk about some of the you know obviously he talked you know he he did a lot of um, changes to Obamacare and and uh, he to talk about the Iran deal and all these things over the past couple of days, but quietly underneath the scenes, if you look at it, he has rolled back a lot of the gains uh, on the social policy gains that progressives have mounted in in recent years, and these are gains that people who are evangelicals did not want to see. Uh, again, white evangelical Christian Republicans yeah. did not want to see um, mounted, and they've and they have and they, and and they've stacked up, and he's rolled them back, and it's he's been very successful in that way. He's taken a lot of political risks, things that actually um, you might not imagine other Republican presidents doing, because they get into areas of conversation that people don't want to really have, which is like that you know you don't. They, they, I mean, when Trump came out with his tweet saying we're going to get rid of all the transgender. Uh, people in the military, and we're going to make it so no more can come in. A lot of Republicans, including those on the Armed Services Committee, said, "Hey, hey, whoa, whoa, we're not. We don't want you to go that far. We don't want to have this argument. We don't want to talk about this. You know, it looks like we're going to be discriminating against people again, and we don't want to. Um, 
we don't want to have that conversation again about this. And Trump was like, no, we're doing it. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that if you are a Values Voter Summit attendee, that's sort of like like dreamland territory. I mean, yeah. this, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that you would never – like he's, he's leaning way out on some of this stuff in ways that people did not expect. I mean, and you talk about like the contraception mandate, all sorts of stuff like this that has been really successful for him. And, and what's really interesting about that, I think, is – when was the last time we talked about the transgender troop ban? Like, it, it, it kind of hasn't gone anywhere. And it really doesn't matter for these voters. That's the point. Like, they will grab onto And I'm not trying to belittle, again. but like They, they will, remember it, though. They remember it. They will grab onto it. Like, I remember, you know, five or six years into the Obama presidency. Like, towards in the second term, for mm-hmm. sure. And I went to a a family gathering with a bunch of my relatives, and I literally had like three or four of them come up because they know what I do for work. And they're like, how's it going there working for that Muslim Obama? (laughs) And I was like, you know, he's not a Muslim. Not that it matters, Mm -hmm. but he's not a Muslim. And they're like, yeah, he is. Because they just saw that there was a conversation about whether or not he was a Muslim, and they just grab onto that because they want to believe it so bad. Well, there was a pamphlet going around at the conference, at least on Friday. It started, I saw the picture on Twitter. It was a pamphlet titled, The Hazards of Homosexuality. No, The Health Hazards of Homosexuality. (laughs) Because they care. But this is part of the funny thing about the current era that we live in is that, you know, we have this president who is excellently skilled on social media, this Twitter social media skill that he has. But literally, I mean, someone said to me the other day, it's like, we are living in the year 1989. Like, like that's just that's just where we're at. And you spend a lot of time, and like, that's exactly what we're talking Yes, you're going to see a, a pamphlet like that, which again, a pamphlet like that is something that you're not going to see, like, at least distributed at the Republican National Convention these days. Like, the, the this is not where the... The majority of the of the Republican Party's conversation is anymore is about this kind of stuff like this because they don't they don't want to they want to win elections they don't want to just they they don't want to have conversations like that anymore but the Values Voter Summit does and Donald Trump wants to as well because those are his voters and it's yeah. it's it's quite fascinating I mean I'm I'm not saying that Trump thinks that Trump would sign on to something called the dangers of homosexuality but um, he has. He has reignited a lot of these conversations, and it's it's a buried lead on his presidency because there's so many other things. It's very hard to think about some of these small rule changes that he's making, some of these small rollbacks, and some of these giant rollbacks, like the thing in the military, when people are sitting around worried if we're going to go to war with North Korea. It's hard to have those conversations. That's what that, you know, when we talked about at the beginning, the idea of your phone being this source of anxiety, teens now being anxious. Yeah. And I believe people who are no longer teens who are like me, who are older and also full of anxiety, it's because there's a constant stream of news, and that means it's hard to get a throughput narrative. But when you go, the great thing about something like the Values Voter Summit is it gives you a narrative of this presidency, which is that one thing that you can say is that this president has been really, really good um, for people who are white, evangelical, Christian Republicans. Sure. Who are also people who think that they've been disenfranchised over the last mm-hmm. eight years. And so that, that I think, is the really interesting movement here of how long he can sustain that. Because, like Bannon said, he thinks he's going to get 400 electoral votes. Maybe. I mean, say, maybe. I have the most loyal people. Did you ever see that? Where I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters. Okay? That's them. It's like incredible. <laughs> Those are his people. So actually. 400, 400 electoral votes, by the way, is. Awfully ambitious. It's a lot of electoral votes. Um, uh, I actually have a piece coming on uh, Vice News tonight, the show that I am on, that uh, is going to is about this thing that Trump mentioned about Fifth Avenue. 
uh, where recently there was a rally at the mall, the mother of all rallies. It was a sort of like grassroots Trump rally. It was not very successful. It was actually like nobody really showed up at it. This was the same weekend as the gathering of the juggalos. Exactly. Here, right? Exactly. Okay. So I was standing in the middle of the National Mall watching a bunch of people <laughs> in clown makeup <laughs> whoop, whoop. yelling uh, F the FBI, <laughs> while on the other hand, there are a bunch of Proud Boys on stage <laughs> at the mother of all rallies chanting, the West is the best. Excellent. And that was how I spent my Saturday. I had some real FOMO, by the way. I kind of wanted to go down there. That was how I... <laughs> <laughs> you could have taken my blaze, I'll tell you that much. Um, but anyway, but I went down there and I actually I grabbed a bunch of Trump supporters and I brought them to our studio, uh, the, uh, the, the Vice News DC Bureau, um, up by the Mayflower Hotel here in Washington. And I sat them down and I asked them a bunch of questions about this Fifth Avenue test. And you'll see that on the show in the, in the coming days. Um, but quite fascinatingly, like they look, they are with him still. And this thing he talks about, look, they, 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 I could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue. I had people literally tell me, like, well, if he did shoot somebody, what he would, it would definitely be in self defense. So obviously it would be fine. But then one woman did say, like, look, if he shot somebody on Fifth Avenue, then people, what, what everybody says about him being crazy would probably be true. Like, I mean, it's like, but, but that's what like, it would take. That's the bar he's got to get over. And I'm, again, like, I don't know if he gets convicted for murder at that point, right? <laughs> I don't know. Can he pardon himself? I think we found out he can, right? Wasn't that one of the original? That's a big question, right? Questions. It becomes now like one of those riddles where it's like, there's a man in prison, and, and there's another, and somehow that he's, man is he's you. judge, jury, executioner, and witness. Like, how does that work? Like, I don't know. Whatever. I don't know. I'm not good at riddles. But, uh, but, but, uh, but it's interesting because this is sort of, I, I think that it's impossible to say, like, look, according to Hoyle, right, the way this presidency has gone has not been really, really well, and, 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 and there has been some struggles. I'm, I'm, I'm doing another story about a guy in West Virginia who is a Democrat running for Congress in the 3rd District uh, of West Virginia who is a former uh, Army uh, soldier who uh, voted for Bernie in the primary, voted for Trump in the general, and is now running for Congress as a Democrat. And I'm doing a story about, and I'm doing a story about this guy, and this guy, he voted for Trump, because Trump said he was going to sort of protect coal country. And he's like, look, I regret my vote for Trump. And a lot of people that I know also do regret their vote for Trump now. Um, so those are those people. But I'm saying those are not people who are at the Values Voter Summit. I mean, I know I'm sort of yeah. beating a dead horse on this. But this is like sort of why I think it's interesting about this moment. And it's, and it's worth, if you're you know watching at home or listening, it's worth noting what happened this weekend. Is that if you want to see sort of like the... Uh, the happiest moments of this presidency is Trump at the Values Voter Summit. Let me ask you a question. How yeah. how much influence in the big picture does this group have? Because, like, it was a little reminiscent of, say, like, CPAC, mm -hmm. where, like, every year they'd have a straw poll for presidency, for who's gonna, who, who they wanted their, the presidential candidate to be, and it was always Ron Paul or Rand Paul. For a couple of years it was. For a couple of years. It used to be a big deal. Mitt Romney won it once. Mitt Romney won it once. But at the end of the day, like I'm not sure that those people had a ton of impact, mm -hmm. the CPACers. But I think this is a little bit different. Well, it's a good point. I mean, I think I mean look I at, only make good points. I mean the, <laughs> 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 Well now that you're now that you're now that you're undead. Now that you're yeah. like that yeah. zombie brain. Yeah, I have such clarity. That's now. right. Uh, <laughs> no, but the, no 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 the evangelical Christian vote no, actually it does have less and less it does have less and less uh 
impact in politics today, which is one of the reasons why they glommed on to Trump, because yeah. they needed to get some influence back. It's not the old days when it comes to the way that works. Um, you know, Peter Thiel, openly gay, spoke at the Republican National Convention. Trump's yeah. open. Uh, Trump's Republican National Convention. Yeah. This, this is a party that doesn't, uh, you know, if you ask candidates, every candidate who's running for, ran for, ran for president this last time around, except with the exception of a couple of them um, who are Republicans, you know, what they thought of... Um, same-sex marriage, you say, look, that issue has been done with. Like, it's dealt with, you know? John Kasich is like, look, I, I, this is over with. I don't want to talk about this anymore. Um, this is a party that sort of moved on from, a, from some of those fights, except for the fact that when, the, when, the, when this president has done it, uh, has, has reignited some of these social fights and really put a lot of pressure on the LGBT community and actually rolled back a lot of the protections that those people had. Um, when he's done that, there's been some... You know, criticism from inside the GOP, but it's not like people have like, you know, uh, taken to the Senate floor and like done long speeches to condemn it. Right. Um, so I think this party sort of figuring out what to do when it comes to that group. Yeah, I think that's a fair. Uh, yeah. Summation of where we are. Yeah. So that is. So who else spoke at that? So that's what. So we have. We have. We have Bannon. We did Bannon. We got Trump. Can we, we talk about Tillerson? Sure. A little bit separate. This is actually a really good um, way to go from now that we've talked all about sort of the moral high ground and, and morality clause. Yeah. Uh, we have another Trump official, right? Because it's been like, what, a couple weeks since we've talked about, um, you know, like whether or not, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, the various prowesses of, uh, of men in the Trump administration. So let's talk about Rex Tillerson, who, of course... Uh, Bob Corker, the senator from Tennessee, who is retiring, um, sort of went off on recently on his in his little retirement rant. Uh, and Rex Tillerson was on Jake Tapper's show this weekend talking about one specific insult uh, that was lobbed at him by Rex Tillerson. Is I mean, by true? Bob Corker. That's all. You, you're a cattle. You have a cattle ranch. You don't want to say anything about uh, the senate, senator uh, calling, suggesting you've been gelded before the world. That's not yeah. anything that bothers you. I checked. I'm fully intact. <laughs> hey, so Great. take that, Amer America's diplomatic corps and, <laughs> and and allies. He's fully intact. America's envoy to the rest of the world He's, has his junk. I mean, this is like uh, Donald Trump stood on the debate stage and made sure everyone knew that he had a big Johnson. <laughs> or at, at least normal size. Or at least normal size. Uh, that's right. That's right. He, like after Marco Rubio said he's got small hands, and you know what that means, which Marco Rubio's blue material never really took off. <laughs> but Donald Trump felt like he had to wedge in the fact that his penis was fine. There are no problems in that department. I don't know why. We, Believe me. It's. It's funny that we talk so much about this idea of maybe Peyton Manning running for Senate when it seems like in this particular environment, Brett Favre would be a much better sure. choice. <laughs> he loves talking about it. We've already seen his. Yes. We've already seen he his. Put it out there for anybody to see. see. I mean, this is this, this is this is this is the level. So so I mean, just again, <laughs> what the backstory of this is is that Bob Corker, who is the Senate Foreign Relations Committee chair, was considered for um oh, excuse me. Oh, this is extremely embarrassing. My phone is <laughs> 
<laughs> it's time not, to get up. My phone is not uh, stopping making noise. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, you want to turn it down? You I can't. I can't. I'll, I'll get back to it in a second. Just stomp it until it's just dust. <laughs> All right, it'll stop then. Here's the thing. This is why. Go oh, ahead. Go, okay. Okay. There we go. You got it. Thanks, everybody. Uh, just just to r- remind you, uh, folks at home, that makes it 7:30 on the East Coast. 7:30 a.m. <laughs> my normal wake up time. Uh, it's beautiful. Uh, anyway, uh, well, my phone has been gelded. Uh, this is the Bill Press Show. I'm Evan McMorris Santoro filling is fully in. Intact. My phone has been me. silenced, and uh, we'll be back with more uh, more for you in a few minutes. And I hate to break the news to Graydon Carter. Download our podcast. Search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is the Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Good morning. It's Bill Press's show, but I'm Evan McMorris Santoro from Vice News Tonight. Filling in for Bill, we're moving on from the incident where my alarm clock went off and I couldn't turn it off to a person whose work always wakes me up in the morning, Elise Foley from HuffPost. Uh, it's HuffPost now, right? That's how we yeah, say it? exactly. That how are you? professionally done, by the way. It was a good segue, very right? Good. really good very segue. Good. That was very good. Yeah. Well, well done. I, well, I, this is why I pull these little bloopers, so I can <laughs> then have my something I can do. Reference points all throughout the show, man. Yeah, I used to be the guy known back. for blowing every bumper that I had to do. Is that what I had to do? And now I'm yeah. now I'm the guy that has the alarm going off. Um, <laughs> so, Elise, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How, did you have a good weekend? I did, yeah. Really good. Did, did you have a like a news free weekend or were you totally news free? I didn't open my computer. That's really good. Yeah. How'd you pull that off? I I mean if you just don't do it. <laughs> I'm actually pretty impressed by that. Yeah. That's a good feeling. That's really good. It's a really good feeling. And Peter Ogburn, of course, still here. I'm still here. Still here. Still here. As I as I said, uh <clears throat> like a month and a half ago, I was in a coma for a couple of days. I gotta tell you, not bad. I didn't have to watch any news cycle. <laughs> no there was news like no Trump. Like it was nothing. Have you talked about? Did you have, did you have like any coma dreams or like what's a coma? Do you remember anything? From I that? remember nothing. So okay. what happened in the news during this? Uh, there was a lot of hurricane news. There was oh, hurricane, okay. um, not Maria, but it was Harvey, Harvey, and yeah. Irma, and Irma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I missed that whole news cycle. Wasn't there something disastrous within the administration that happened while you were out? I couldn't tell you. I was out of it. <laughs> I was in a coma. So good. You know, it's great. I, th- I think I told this story on air, but when I was out of it, I woke up and they go, uh, what year is it? And I said, uh, uh, 2008. And they go, no, that's wrong. And they're like, do you know where you are? And I said, no, I don't know where I am. They said, do you know who the president is? I said, Donald effing Trump. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, okay, you'll be fine. <laughs> 2008. I wonder if actually somebody actually like surprised me, like a think fast moment and told me, asked me to tell me what year it was. Yeah. I probably wouldn't be able to do it. <laughs> I can't answer like, any questions. That's a good point. I put on the spot. Like if you were like think fast, what year is it? I'd be like <laughs> some, 2030. I know. Some time in between. The <laughs> longest five years of my life have been the ten months of the Trump administration. <laughs> like, it's insane. You know the couple that got kidnapped in Afghanistan that got rescued uh, this past week. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Backpackers. Uh-huh. The, their captors told them that Donald Trump got elected president, and they didn't believe the captors. They oh, thought the really? captors were lying to them. That's hysterical. That's yeah. Well, that, okay. Sad and hysterical, yeah. but you know. All right. Well, let's. Yeah, uh, true. <laughs> All right, uh, Elise. Well, it's been five years of lead up to you getting a chance to talk about some news now, but let's do that. So, 
the last time, so you cover immigration stuff, and the last time that I really checked in on what Trump was what Trump was doing with immigration was when he was supposedly cutting a deal with Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi on DACA. He was like tweeting like, "Hey, DACA recipients, everything's gonna be fine. Like we're doing this." So that was what a few weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> so so where are we it now? It was like a long time ago. Well, so uh, people were like, okay, great. We're coming out of this. We're going to have a a deal. Democrats said that they were willing to do border security, but not a wall, Um, which, I mean, if you give a bunch of funding for fencing, it's kind of a, uh, you know, you can, Republicans can call it a wall. Democrats can be like, it's not a wall. So, you know, maybe that's what they'll do in the end. Transparent wall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So they said that they were willing to do that. it sounded like Trump, at least to Schumer and Pelosi, was willing to do some sort of legal status for uh, Dreamers. And then after that, I think he was getting some pushback from his base and he put uh, Stephen Miller in charge, uh, it sounds like, of making his immigration policy priorities. Um, he is somebody who for years worked for Jeff Sessions when he was in the Senate and uh, really tried to kill any sort of uh, immigration reform measures. So putting him in charge was not a great sign. And then the White House put out its policy priorities. It was basically like, we want everything in the world in exchange for this. We want more detention. We want more deportations, et cetera. This is the big list of policy priorities. Yeah. And for it's someone like long. you, I mean, who's been covering what this president's been doing and what's been going on in politics, I mean, put that list in perspective. Is it like sort of like the dream list of an yeah, immigration hardliner? Yeah, total wish list of a hardliner. So um, things like, you know, cutting legal immigration, which is not particularly popular with all Republicans either. Um, but then just a huge amount of enforcement. Changing things like asylum law so that you wouldn't have to give as many people asylum um, every everything on the wish list, and basically, like we will, you know, help these eight hundred thousand people, maybe, if we get everything else we want. So, what 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 sort of looked like for a little while that Trump was saying, I want people, these dreamers, to be aware that I understand their plight, and I don't want them to feel nervous or afraid. Like I'm cool. Um, now it sounds more like he's like. Oh, nice dreamers you have over there. We'd be sad if something happened to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. And, uh, you know, people, I, I think that he really does feel bad for them. And I think that there are a lot of Republicans who really don't want, you know, a bunch of these people to get deported. The stories would be, there would immediately, you know, be terrible stories. Um, and I think they'll start being them already. Um so I think that there are a lot of people who want to get to a deal. It's just at what point do they put themselves in a position where they can't really do it because they've um, put so many requirements. And and Democrats, I think, are planning to stay really firm on uh, not giving them, giving in with all of these things. The Dreamers themselves don't want anybody to cave and make it more dangerous for their parents and their communities in exchange for their protection they they don't want that um speaking you know broadly right the dreamer movement but weren't i mean there were people in congress who were already getting to work on some kind of legislative fix after this chuck and nancy conversation happened and then 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 these um immigration um uh requests came out these trump administration immigration requests or or immigration demands i guess 
So where did that put that process of trying to create some legislative fix for the DACA thing? Did it just blow it all up or what? Well, so it's kind of interesting. Uh, in a sense, um, by putting out these priorities that are just totally unworkable, um, what, what some people have told me is that Trump almost took himself out of the game. Like, he, he won't be the person making the deal. The person who will make the deal is... Uh, Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell with Schumer and Pelosi because they'll need Democratic votes to do it. Um, And in a way, you can kind of just look at those priorities and be like, dude, we can't do those. And then just skip over them. Just ignore, you know, not negotiate with the White House and hope that they sign whatever you send his way. Um, So I, I don't know how much it did change things. I think that it changed things in the sense that a lot of Republicans who are with Trump will now be angrier if they don't get the things that they want. But I think for somebody who really does want to get it done, and I I think that a lot of them just would rather not have to deal with this anymore and just get it done. uh, I don't I don't know how much it changes, actually. Do you have a sense of what, uh, you know, life is now like for these DACA recipients, the people that have been on this kind of I mean, really, I can't think of a more sort of crazy political roller coaster in such a short period of time and like a long time that people have been like sort of, yes, no, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, any sense of where they're at? Well, I think a lot of them are really, really stressed. So Trump gave um, a certain subset of them um, a month to apply to renew if they were set to expire before March 5th. Um, and it was, you know, saying like, hey, you're going to have to pay to do this. It's $495. I mean, that's a lot of money, especially if you're, you know, in like a freshman in college. Like I didn't have $500 floating around. Um, so I, that was really stressful for a lot of people. Some people didn't apply on time. So they say these things about, oh, we have six months. Um, that's not true for some people. Some people it's going to expire and they'll be put at risk. Um, and it's it's just super stressful for them. Um You'd have to you'd lose your job if you lose your work authorization. So these people who are working as like engineers would have to be fired. I mean, and they've given all their information to the government, too, which is also sounds like maybe anxiety. Yeah, And those addresses, uh, you know, sometimes are their parents address that they put on there on those forms. And um, the you know, they had a commitment from the government, but not a binding one that they wouldn't use that stuff for anything. But, um, you know, like big national security things, things like that. But you never know with the Trump administration. I mean, yeah, they have they have their addresses. That would be scary. That's awful. Um, let's talk about the other thing that is sort of like the other side of Trump and immigration. Obviously, this this idea of like like the wall, right? He still yeah. talks about it. We still hear about it all the time. He put it on this list of immigration uh, policy ideas or demands What's the what's the deal with the wall? Give me the update on the wall. Like, where are we at so with this wall? They've made prototypes for the wall. They're still working on them, and then they'll pick. Which have you seen these wall. prototypes? I have not. Okay. Um, I saw some I of the photos. To. I saw some photos. Yeah. Um, yeah, it would be fun to go see. I believe that your, I believe Vice visited. Oh, of course, yes. Vice <laughs> Vice went down to the wall. No, no, no. I mean, but- my, my favorite was the wall that had it was. It really did look like a just like a giant fence because, of course, remember, uh, Donald Trump says that we need to have a transparent border wall to prevent injuries from the falling sacks of drugs that they right. throw over the yeah, wall. Which the actually, wall. the concern about people throwing stuff over is not an un, unreal concern. 
People really? In defense, in defense of Trump on Pe- that. People really? Yeah. Border Patrol uh, has said that they, they like to be able to see through a little bit. Because people do go through. I get it. No, that makes sense. Like that. I guess. Well, it makes you want to see through it probably for a lot of reasons, right? You would want yeah. to yeah. see what's on the going on the other side so you can be prepared for it. Or That's whatever. why a but, lot of it is like slats. Yeah, right. I saw I saw a photo right. of like four of the prototypes, yeah. right? And one of them in particular was just like slats. It looked like just yeah. A they're giant making fence. they they had people make big concrete ones, yeah. and then also people make more of fence ones. And they haven't committed to definitely having concrete some places. I mean, even in his executive order where he said, "and we're going to do the wall," it said like. I forget what the exact language was, but it left an opening for having a fence. I think that's the most likely thing. They built a bunch of fence and they're like, it's a wall. <laughs> and it, Trump said on the campaign trail he'd made it sound like the current wall was or sorry, current fence. Um, I'm refusing to call it a wall. <laughs> I'm not sure uh, that the current fence was like terrible. And, you know, but I, they're but not going to take like down that is, fence. But it's, it's not like fence is like, oh, fence. It's how nice. And like, right. I mean, it's right. still a but barrier. Democrats have I mean, voted like, for it before. Yeah. Yeah. For fencing. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think they're going to add some fence. I don't think that there will be a there won't be a wall all the way across, but they have already said that there won't be a wall all the way across. So it's all I think it's all sort of. But like Trump keeps bringing this up. And I wonder if this is the kind of thing. I mean, so the GOP just spent a lot of time trying to keep its promise on undoing Obamacare, which it was very ineffective at doing from a legislative perspective. And Trump just went ahead and did it on his own. Recently, but I want like are Republicans like gonna go to like to like down to the wire on this wall thing? Are they gonna like are they gonna fight fight so fight on this wall thing? It's hard to say. So a lot of advocates, what they want is for them to just try and put this into the spending bill that's coming up in December. And if they were to do that, there will be money in there for the Department of Homeland Security. Um, so in a in a way, Republicans could just be like. Yeah, we got our money. We got some money for our fe- our wall, and we got some money for our deportations and de- you know detention. And they could be like, "Oh, this is a win." I don't know that this is what will happen, but they they could be like, "We got what we wanted," and then yeah. we got the dreamer part is in there too. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think in that sense, I I think that they'll they'll get money for their for their fence. It's just a question of how much they'll get. They don't really need even if they truly are going to build the whole thing. They don't need all the money right now to do it. It's not like it's going to do it in a year. Um, and all this stuff, they've tried to build fencing before. They have a bunch of fencing. Then they get stuck on things like um, people's land. Like people own that land and they don't want a, a big That's fence actually a big it. issue. Yeah, That's a, a huge really big issue. issue. I mean, there's so much private property along yeah. the border. That, like, what are they going to do about that? Well, we used to the story. Uh, we haven't even, like, he hasn't even addressed that as far as I'm concerned. No, and I i mean, they passed this bill to build a bunch of fence a long time ago. Like, they always bring up Obama voted for it. Yeah. I'm, so, yeah. They, and they haven't been well, able yeah, to do it was because thing. of things like More border patrol private, agents is a thing. Yeah. A lot of these stuff that he said is not super, I mean, it's not new. Like, yeah. more border patrol, more fencing, some kind of electronic, you know, drone-based surveillance system and all that stuff is not... New, but it's like Trump made a pretty specific promise about this about idea a of wall. a wall. Yeah. And it seems like that is less and less likely. I think the question is what they build and whether they just call it a wall. Right. That's what I That's what I imagined. I'm reminded it's of- It's not something that you'll see and be like, that's a wall, like the Great Wall of China or something. It'll I'm, be like, that's a fence. Right. But okay, sure. So all of this politics is just going to come down to like literally this like engineering, yeah. like, like, like semantics. 
Yeah. Like, I mean, it's like I'm saying it's a tall, it's a tall fence, not a wall. Fan, I mean, I don't know. This is I, I'm reminded of the John McCain ad from 2010 when he was running for that yeah. election. And yeah. it was complete the dang fence. Fence. Build the dang fence. Build the dang fence. Dang fence. It wasn't a wall. It was a fence. Tip top shape. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> that was really. That's really amazing. Really fast. Is that, is that, is that like a ringtone that you guys know? Like, like, Jamie's got all kinds of. Yeah. Yeah. You never know what Jamie's gonna pull. You got the toilet flushing noise. You got the tip top shape. You got the you know like. Oh uh, yeah, we got, got those. The, yeah, you need man. That goes up a lot. There it goes. Um, <laughs> wait, wait! Do you actually have that horn? This is no. This is Peter's favorite. This is um, Donald Trump saying Japan, but I slowed it down. Japan. <laughs> I love that. That is like that. a DJ horn. All right. <laughs> Finally, what I like to talk to you about is is this legal immigration thing? Yeah. Because I think this is this is the one thing that I think um, it surprises a lot of people. Like, I mean, Trump did talk a lot about the dang fence or wall or whatever you want to call it. Um, so that's not that surprising that this is still coming up. But like this legal immigration stuff, they're trying to really what are they trying to do with legal immigration? And what don't they like about legal immigration? They don't like that uh, the number of people who can come on family visas. So um, a lot of the argument is that people should be able to come based on their merit and not because they have a um, you know brother or sister here. Um, so the idea would be in theory to change it. And some people would support changing it a little bit so that you, um, you know, change the proportions and have more people come based on their education or, you know, work skills or whatever. But uh, what Tom Cotton um, wants to do and the Trump administration has endorsed uh, basically is to just do the part on family immigration, which would basically cut legal immigration in half, not not add to it in other ways so that it stays the same. And that's where you get a lot of Republicans being like, no, this is a terrible idea. Um, And they're, yeah, so it's basically based on the kind of, you know, simplistic idea of like, there are only so many jobs and these immigrants are coming and taking them. Um, So the idea of like literally reducing the number of people who are coming, like overall number of people. Yeah, just overall like having it. This is another area. I mean, you talk about, I mean, I mean, on the wall, you know, uh, I did a profile of a guy named Will Hurd, who's a congressman from Texas, who's against the Republican congressman, very against Trump's wall. You talk about Tom Cotton's thing, um, going to cut legal immigration, a lot of Republicans being against that, too. Do you have a sense of sort of like an overall kind of like where the Republican Party is when it comes to immigration now? I mean, is there like I mean, a single through line? The they're, they're just really all over the place, which yeah. is why it's so hard for them to make any kind of deal and why, you know, I think if anything gets through, it's getting through on mostly Democratic votes. Um, they'll just have to accept doing that if they really want to get it done, because there's a lot of Republicans who are with Trump on all of this and a lot of them who are not and are in districts where going along with all this would be very, you know, potentially very bad for them, which is why you see certain of them having these bills for dreamers that are, you know, stand on their own and don't go with anything else. And so they uh, they just don't have a consensus. I mean, you remember after the 2012 election, they had this GOP autopsy report and they were like, man, we really uh, have been doing bad with minorities. Like we need to improve our Latino vote situation, and then you they passed uh, comprehensive immigration reform through the Senate. They got enough, convinced enough people in the Senate, at least, that that was a good idea. And now we're where we are now. So they're just, you know, they're they're all over the place. Which is interesting. I think a lot of people don't think about it that way. I mean, you know, we talk about politics as so 
uh, like sort of polarized and divided all the time now that like, you know, Democrats believe X and Republicans believe Y. But one of the reasons why we've had such a weird 10 months is that the GOP is in charge of everything. And it turns out that they don't agree on anything. Yeah. 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 Right. And, and immigration is a big one. This is one of those that. big ones. Because because of the things like. If you're a big fiscal conservative, maybe you think maybe you'd think that this is not the best use of money to build a giant, you know, wall. Um, or if you don't support, you know, taking people's land, their private land, maybe you think that that's a bad idea. So and then, you know, there's a lot of Democrats. Democrats are more united. And I think uh, having somebody like Trump on the other side is probably helpful for that. For that. Um, so I think that they're pretty united in, you know, we're we're going to vote, we would vote for border security, but not other things. So the question is just whether they get what they want and can get this lumped into a spending bill, I think, because getting it through on, you know, regular order or uh, going through committee and then going to the floor only if a majority of Republicans support it, which is what Paul Ryan says, you know, says that he wants to do with everything. I just don't see that happening. Right. And, and, of course, the big preview, the, the big thing everyone's expecting for the, over the next year, the big storyline in, in the Republican Party is going to be this Steve Bannon-led primary effort against, as I said earlier, every incumbent Republican senator running for re-election. He's going to primary them. Is there any sense of, like, sort of, so his primary opponents, is that, like, a is that more of the Tom Cotton thinking on immigration or different? Do you have any sense of that? Yeah, I mean, he's uh, not a pro-immigration excuse me, a pro-immigration person. I think that anybody who votes for amnesty is going to get hit in the primaries by people who support people like him. Um, the Breitbart, you know, used to run articles about how Paul Ryan has a wall around his house, but he won't put a wall on the border. So that's the type of uh, attacks I think that they'll go with. Was it a wall um, or a fence at Paul Ryan's house? I think that it was like like stone. Like, I don't think it, it was very like tall, wall. but I think that it could count as a wall, maybe more so than the wall on the border. Even the though, fake wall. ironically, <laughs> a taller more intense fence would be much more protection for Paul Ryan's house than a, a sure, low. Yeah. Well, I I don't wall. know for sure. Don't quote me on that. Okay, but we don't. <laughs> so we, we don't know what kind of wall it is. Yeah. But there yeah. is. Yeah. Okay. All right. So walls and fences. But but it's interesting. It's interesting. So what you're saying is like we're looking at immigration as we move forward into the next year. What we're going to be looking at a lot of is the Republican Party still battling with itself about what it wants to be when it comes to this topic, and you've been yeah. tracking that for a long time. Yeah, and I, I think eventually we're going to get back to the point where uh, some people who have more national ambitions or, like, the future of the party um, in the long-term concerns, they're going to, you know, be the voices that get louder again saying, oh, man, we're really killing ourselves with Latino voters on this. Because especially having Trump as your messenger, I mean, he is, like, not, not going to be good for them on Latino voters. And I think that there are some of them who... Republicans who are going to get back to worrying about that. Got it. And briefly, what about Democrats? Because, you know, it used to be that there was a conversation that there, you know, there's a lot of ideas that maybe there were some Democrats who were not as into things like legal immigration or adding new immigrants because of some of this job taking uh, mythology. Um, are Democrats basically on the same page now? Or is there still a split among them when it comes to this stuff? I mean, there are always some some splits, but I think that they are really, really united now. And I think that it's based on partially having a common enemy. I mean, the idea of any of them voting for, um, you know, vote or voting against something for our dreamers, I think is like that wouldn't happen. Um, 
and yeah, I think I think they're they are a lot more united. They've had more time kind of to to get united because they've been pushing for these things a little bit longer than a lot of Republicans. And um, it's better politically on their end to support uh, immigrants and things like that. Um, in the 2013 bill, they actually did change the legal immigration system somewhat to more of this merit based idea. And so it's not it's not like that is a, a total non-starter. It's just the idea of cutting legal immigration is not no not particularly popular with most Democrats. It either. wasn't with the goal of actually like reducing right. the number of immigrants right. that come in. Because then you get all these, you know, uh, the U.S. that's against America, American values, et cetera, et cetera. That's right. Bad attack ads on that one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's interesting that we just literally have the, that this debate it, that it seemed like in the last election cycle the GOP had a vision on this. And then as soon as they took power, it's like just completely shattered. <laughs> like they have, made a terrible mistake. I think this has been the most interesting part about this Trump administration to me actually has been sort of, you know, popping the hood on the Republican Party and finding how much uh, they still have to figure out what they want to do. I think that's a really, really, really good point. And, and how quickly, like... Just on the immigration thing, right? Like, I, I know this is a very obvious point to make, but I'm really good at that. Of, like, <laughs> Trump swearing that Mexico's going to pay for this wall. Mexico's not going to pay for the wall. That's out of the conversation. We didn't even talk about it with at least because yeah. it's not happening. It's not even going to happen. That so was, obviously not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Like, they changed that so quickly. And they don't even now care. Now I feel like it is going to happen. Since <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, walls or fences... We'll figure it out later. We're coming back after a short break. This is the Bill Press Show. I'm Evan McMorris-Santoro filling in. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing, if you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Good morning. It's The Bill Press Show. I'm Evan McMorris-Santoro of Vice News, filling in for Bill. Uh, we got, we, we're plowing through this thing. We're one hour in. One hour down, halfway done. And we just, had, I, mean, I thought that was a really good hour. Uh, you know, we had a lease in here, a lease holy from HuffPost. Um, and, you know, we've kind of stumbled upon a theme for this show, which is sort of like the remaining... Uh, this idea of this angst, this that because I read this story in the in in in, in, the, in the New York Times over the weekend about teens and angst, and this idea of the angst that we've been living in over the past ten months, and how we talk about angst inside the Republican Party when it yeah. comes to trying to figure out what they believe in, angst among Democrats, figuring out what they're what they're going to do about all this stuff, um, and now we have a whole new kind of angst. <laughs> That Peter Ogburn, you can fill us in on from the New Yorker from Jane Mayer. Jane Mayer wrote a piece for the New Yorker, The Danger of President Pence. And it's a long read, and there's a lot of good stuff in there. I just want to read this one line about how Trump views Mike Pence. Uh, quote, a staff member from Trump's campaign recalls him mocking Pence's religios religiosity. Religiosity? Religiosity. Religiosity. Mm -hmm. Thank you. 
He said that when people met with Trump after stopping by Pence's office, Trump would ask them, did Mike, (laughs) did Mike make you pray? (laughs) Which is like, we talked about the values voters summit. We talked about how those are such like religious, right? And how they're, they're not going to care about this. I mean, Donald Trump, Donald Trump. Well, they're not going to read it. They don't read. They're not going to the read it because that's it's not true. Listen, let's not say that the New Yorkers is well read by a lot of people. That's not true. That's not they're not going to read it. It's that they. It's Peter's right. Like they don't. They don't. Like I talk to these people when I go out on the on on the road. I talk. To, it's, it's not. And like I said, it's. I mean, I think a mistake is made. A lot of people talk about. Oh, these Trump voters. They're they're not smart. They don't know. Like no, people have made a political bet on this guy yeah. on Donald Trump. Sure, and it's because of the fact that like look. They don't particularly care if he actually goes to church all the time right. or if he prays all the time. Excuse me. Mike Pence is his vice president, and he's in there doing stuff. And things that Mike Pence and Jeff Sessions is the secret is the attorney general, and things that those people want done, the evangelical are being done. Donald Trump went on air with Howard Stern before he was a candidate and said that he had thought about having an abortion with his daughter Tiffany. He was thinking about making his daughter, Tiffany, get aborted. All right? So uh, on that, and look, whatever you feel about that, right? However you feel about abortion. But my point is, you've got Jerry Falwell Jr. from Liberty University who was out there way early Uh with Trump endorsing him. And if you were to ask him what's his number one issue, I bet abortion would be pretty close to number one. And he said over the weekend, Trump has the potential to be like the greatest president since Lincoln or something like that. Jesus Christ. Something something like that. I mean, no, but this is but this is this is the thing about politics and people making decisions about what they're doing. Anyway, this this Pence Trump relationship is quite fascinating because yeah. we all cause so so that's like a leak that Jane Mayer has gotten that's like, you know, you know, you can hear the Trump administration already calling it fake news, right? It's some anonymous source saying sure. this is what Trump did. Sure. But BuzzFeed, my old uh, home, uh, recently had a story about where they got uh, uh, one of the Breitbart star writers. They got all of his old emails. So, like, it was like one of these big, it's like a WikiLeaks dump of emails from internally from Breitbart. And one of them was uh, Steve Bannon talking about Mike Pence and saying, like, look, this is like, we got to take this. Like, I don't want this Mike Pence. I don't want Mike Pence either. Like, it's an interesting relationship because Pence is. publicly extremely supportive of Donald Trump like mm-hmm. like 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 does not challenge him does not really critique him very much like maybe subtle ways you have to sort of like really be looking close to see how he's trying to do stuff but in the Washington chatter world where everybody in politics talks behind the scenes about things all the time um it's clear that there's a that that there is like a shadow pence you know, Pence 2020 idea, like already in effort. Completely. Yeah. Anyway. um, All right. So we'll, we'll be back uh, in a few, few minutes with uh, more from the bill press show. I'm Evan McMorris Santoro and uh, keep listening. your radio on tv and online this is the bill press show oh hi we're back <laughs> it's the bill press show hello hi didn't see you there i actually really literally always wanted to do that yeah. like oh hi didn't yeah. see you there typing at the computer uh, writing a- hello oh hello there have you considered buying gold 
Um, my favorite commercial, by the way, currently running is the one on Fox News where that B-list actor is selling gold on a battleship. William Devane. Dude, that yeah. ad is everything. It's so good. It's so it good. is America. It's so, so I saw good. a commercial for a Trump teddy bear last night. Terrified me. Oh, my God. What are God. you watching? Yeah, where did you see that? Uh, BET. No, it wasn't BET. It was like a. <laughs> That'd be great. It was like a classic movies channel that has commercials. It was awful. What a classic! Wow. All right, whatever. I, th- that story is not true. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so um, <laughs> I'm Evan McMorris Santoro. This is the Bill Press Show. That's uh, true. <laughs> it's fake news. When it comes to precious metals or any other metals, buy whatever you want. I don't really have any I dog in that hunt. I'm actor William Devane. I just think that that ad is completely amazing because he's because he looks at the basically he's like, look at this. I'm on a battleship. Giant guns around him. I'm not really him. sure what the what the. I've only watched it. Honestly, I've only watched it on mute, so I'm not really sure what yeah. the what the connection is between the two. But I just like I love that ad. It's a good ad. It's I really, mean, he, really it's, he's literally standing in front of giant cannons. So we have a lot to talk about coming up, but uh, let's talk about let, let's let's do some headlines first. All right, I got a couple of stories here for you. Uh, by the way, over the weekend, still the the NFL protests are happening. Yeah, players are still taking a knee. Mm-hmm. Well, Colin Kaepernick filed a collusion grievance against NFL owners, which I think is really interesting because this is sort of the next evolution in his protest. Uh, a lot of people who follow this stuff say that Co- that Colin Kaepernick's inability to sign with the team is a clear result of his protests, which is a problem. So basically his argument is that they have all worked together to keep him from getting a job. Yeah, and like I am I I I think the argument can be made that Colin Kaepernick is not the greatest quarterback. I think his last season in the NFL, he had a really 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 bad season, but that being mm-hmm. said, this offseason you saw mediocre quarterbacks coming out of retirement to come and play. Like, Jay, Cut- Jay Cutler's playing for the Miami Dolphins. Right. And, uh, oh, look at this. Cam just came in with donuts. Uh, is Cam my- Joseph brought donuts. <laughs> so, like, he's making the argument, like, I, I could have had that job. Not to mention, yesterday, the 49ers pulled their starting quarterback, Brian Hoyer, who was the guy who essentially replaced Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. Yep. They played a rookie yesterday. Yeah. I mean, I have read, though, that this idea that this collusion case is going to be a bit of a struggle. Probably. It's going to be tough. It's definitely. I mean, look, anytime you take on the NFL, it's going to be tough. But and, and it's hard to sort of prove that. But but so what happened? Uh, this was the the Sunday after that letter that Goodell put out being like, we as a league want to stand. What happened? Did, did players still kneel? Players still knelt yesterday. Yeah. And what and, and was there any where they. I don't think Trump tweeted pulled about off it. the Mm-mm. pulled off the field or anything. <laughs> I like no. how that's the only thing that matters. I know, no, yeah. I, like I was curious no, to well, see no, if actually, he I mean, were there was any reprisals from the teams. Nope. Interesting. Nope. They're having a meeting this week to discuss. They insist that they're not putting a rule in place to make players stand, but all the owners are getting this, together this week that to discuss. That would be a First this. Amendment violation. Well, and again, yeah. you know, I mean, the, yeah. the thing to remember when it comes to this argument, and it, it, it could be because this is one of those stories where really, you know, the public at home is being you know, is being fed a lot of misinformation uh, when it comes to this conversation. And I mean, the, and the important thing to remember is that, like, look, if you believe that uh, mounting a protest during the national anthem is it in itself an unpatriotic thing to do, then yes, that's that's what's happening. Um, but the reality of the specific protest is that, first of all, it's about police brutality uh, and, and it's about uh, police uh, and, you know, some, you know, the Black Lives Matter uh, protest movement. And also... The kneeling comes from Colin Kaepernick 
speaking to a soldier and saying, because at first Colin Kaepernick was sitting on the bench and he, he took he took a lot of flack for that. Like, like, look, you're not even acknowledging the anthem at all. That we don't like that. That 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 is viewed as unpatriotic. So he goes and he asks a person who has fought and bled for the country on the battlefield and said, "What do you you know? What can I do here? I want to I, I want to make my opinion known, but I also want to be respectful." And that guy said, "You should kneel." So as we talk about this whole this entire thing has been blown out into this idea that like anything beyond standing is not respecting the flag. The people who are doing it actually believe they are respecting the flag while also protesting. So, I mean, if you believe that anything that makes any kind of uh, comment about something in America that you think needs to change while the anthem is playing is wrong, then that's happening. But the other argument that these guys are all kind of like dismissing the flag is not true. Yeah, and I think there are some parallels and maybe some that that uh, folks in the gun right gun control movement don't want to acknowledge, but the whole it's similar to me as there's a mass shooting. Yeah. All of a sudden we can't talk about it then. And because it, it, I mean I'm not saying they're, they're directly analogous, but I, I do think that there are some commonalities in oh well when we have to confront it when it makes us uncomfortable that's unacceptable to talk about then. But you go do you you do your protesting in the corner as long as we don't have to worry about it. But we don't have to acknowledge it. We don't have to deal with it. And, and I think it's the the reason that this upsets people so much is they're confronted by it yeah. and they have to deal with it. And it's no longer just something that maybe they see one post on Facebook from their you know their zany nephew. It's like, oh, this is something I like, and all of a sudden it's being you know the politics of it's being injected into this. Yeah, so I, I can't argue one way or the other about whether or not like I mean I, I was on the show with Bill recently, and you know I can't I mean I don't really have an opinion one way or the other on whether or not people should do this. I think I'm a reporter; people can do what they want when it comes to the anthem. But I it does bother me that the story has been kind of changed that these guys are protesting the flag when they are absolutely not. They're yeah. they're they're doing a protest that was designed to be respectful of the flag while making a point about the country. Yeah, and and I think you can have you know different opinions on this and have an intelligent conversation about this as opposed to your pro or anti patriotism or your pro or anti this country. Uh, you know wh- whether or not this pr- protest is appropriate. I think the reason that this is getting people so upset and the reason that Donald Trump, who is maybe not great at everything, but is very, very good at figuring out hot button cultural issues to rally his base around him, is jumping all over this. The thing that I think is uh, is so interesting about this is when we talk about it, not when we here on the show talk about it, but when cable news talks about it, the the reason for the protest, the reason for the taking a knee is completely lost. Yep. Right, it's completely already been taken over and convoluted that the reason that this happened, the reason that Colin Kaepernick even started this, is because black people are disproportionately gunned down in America. Their the their rights are disproportional to disproportionate to, to white Americans. That's the conversation he's trying to have. And instead it's turned into this thing where troops are coming out and bashing NFL players, which frankly, who cares what the troops think about this? It has nothing to do with the troops. Well, some People who are in the military are not bashing. Some people are. I mean, no, no, no. I, I should I, I should say that they're like the military as a whole is bashing it. But like, there have been people in the military who are coming out and saying like, "This is an affront to my service." Well, why? It's well, not about is, you because this is about the misinformation, which is about what the protest is actually actually is. Like I said, it, I mean, like I said, if you think <laughs> that you should, if you think the only thing you should do during the national anthem is just, you know, the anthem is playing and you just need to just not make any sort of yeah. political statement at all, then you have, then you're on the right track to be upset about uh, the Kaepernick thing. But if you, 
you know, they're not protesting the flag. Right. They're supposed to yeah. be acknowledging the flag and also right. making a point about something else. Anyway, seeing as we've now shifted completely into ESPN world, <laughs> we have three <laughs> white dudes talking yes. about yep. the protest movement led by people, of, people of color. Yep. Yeah. That's we're true. Just, we're right in the zone. <laughs> yes. um, let's move on to what uh, another white dude has said about people of color. Cam Joseph, you've been doing a lot of reporting <laughs> about... I don't like that transition at all. Cam Joseph is here from TPM, and he's been doing a lot of reporting about this completely wacky Alabama Senate special, yeah. uh, and particularly our, you know, Roy Moore, who's been around for a long time. Yeah, so, and, and a lot of you guys probably know Roy Moore. He is the guy most famous for getting kicked off the Alabama Supreme Court for keeping his huge Ten Commandments... Uh, monument in front of his court, refusing, basically rejecting the rule of law and refusing to take higher court's orders to remove it, uh, managed to come back to the Alabama Supreme Court about a decade later, once again got thrown off the Alabama Supreme Court because he ordered uh, lo lower clerks in the state to not acknowledge the, Supreme, the U.S. Supreme Court's ruling on gay marriage. So he's that guy. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people have heard over the years some of his, his zanier, uh, crazier things on uh, Muslims. Uh, he believes, you know, if you're Muslim, you shouldn't be allowed to serve in Congress. Uh, he claimed recently, uh, about a month ago, that Sharia law is already in place in parts of the Midwest. Uh, that I think I was actually in an interview with Bill Press uh, about yep. a decade ago that he said that gay acts should be illegal, mm -hmm. um, basically saying that it should be a jailable offense. Uh we bring, you know, bring back the sodomy laws. Interesting um, juxtaposition with the whole Sharia law. Argument. I was going to say, right. There's, there, there's a lot that's there. That's way but, closer to Sharia law uh, than anything that's actually happening in the Midwest. Yeah. Uh, an unexplored thing. You haven't thing. been to Des Moines in a while, have you, Peter? <laughs> I, I guess that's a fair point. You haven't been out there in Iowa. <laughs> that's a fair point. It's Sharia country. <laughs> yeah. Could make for an interesting straw poll, right? Yeah. Uh, but uh, so there's all this stuff that he yells very loudly that people kind of know him for. Uh, the quieter part of this whole thing is that uh, now I, I'm not ascribing his, his own beliefs. He's had never said anything, you know, particularly out there on this, but he hangs out with a lot of people with really fringy views. And a story I did too, about a week ago, uh, explored his biggest backer for about 15 years. Uh, who's given him about, I think, almost $700,000 between his, his Foundation for Moral Law, which is what his foundation is called, and his campaigns. Michael Peruca, uh, elected official in Maryland now, actually, uh, uh, Anne Arundel County, is an actual secessionist. It was, was for, for many years on the League of the South board. The League of the South has gotten more fringy since Peruca left, but they're best known for organizing Charlottesville rallies. Um, and is actually pro like reseceding for the south and 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 has given these speeches he was a constitution party in canada in 20, 2004 uh and gave the speech to the league of the south where he said that he's still angry that maryland didn't secede um basically call, called the confederate uh national flag the american flag a couple times so his thing is not even like the south arise again but more like the those marylanders to. back in the actual civil war that didn't yeah. secede. Well, in an made a Mar Maryland, Maryland would have seceded if uh, Lincoln hadn't declared martial law and arrested a bunch of state legislators, and that's what he said he was angry about. That it was like tyranny. This is like some next level. This is like the real. This this is like the like like the real cosplay. Like I mean, you're going back to like. You know, like that is your historical oh, yeah. reenact. You know what well, that show and, that's and, on and Amazon, like where, they, where the Nazis won, won World War Two. Man in the High Castle. Well, yeah, this, yeah, so yeah, this yeah, this yeah, is yeah. this guy's Man in the High Castle. It's like. Maryland, 1862. <laughs> <laughs> like martial law is not declared. 
Yeah, so he's still upset about that. Um, and he's not the only one in, in Moore's kind of broader swath of things. Okay. And uh, Moore, Moore himself led the fight against uh, – there's this big bipartisan push, uh, including Governor Riley, who was a Republican governor in 2004, to clean up the Constitution. Alabama's got this sprawling – it's the longest Constitution in the country and I think in the world, according to my research – um, and it ha- it was written in 1901, and it was an explicitly white supremacist Jim Crow constitution. The Alabama Constitution. Yeah, so a lot of that's already been struck down by the, the, the courts, uh, but it's still really embarrassing to have uh, things in your own state constitution, like mandating separate schools, saying colored children are not allowed in white children's schools. And I'm using the language of the constitution, not my own here, uh-huh, obviously. Uh-huh. Um, so there's this big push in 2004. They, 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 by about a 60-40 margin in 2000, removed the ban on interracial marriage. In 2004. In 2000. So these were, I mean, so just, that, okay, so to be right, clear, right. these were in the Alabama constitution, but they were inoperable because of right. federal... Federal and state Supreme Court rulings already had like struck a lot of this down, but it's still embarrassing for them. But it still exists in the Constitution. So if you look at the official document, it still it still banned things like interracial marriage. It banned things like uh, uh, integrated schools. And so then we get to 2004, and there is a push to. Uh, take some of this language out yep. and, and, it and looks like, modernize you know, this constitution. They're expecting it to succeed. They're expecting it to fly through, uh, get rid of this embarrassing language that the business community is embarrassed about, trying to recruit jobs down there. Obviously, civil rights groups are very upset about. Um, and it looks like it's going to fly through. Got bipartisan support, moved through the legislature really quickly. All of a sudden, uh, the religious right gets involved and they claim that this is going to somehow create a constitutional right for an education, which they say will somehow raise taxes on people. And Roy Moore leads the charge against this and it fails by 1,500 votes. So Alabama state constitution to this day still has explicitly segregationist language because of Roy Moore. What? Why did Roy Moore do? I mean, what was Roy Moore interest? What was his interest here? He... Well, that that's open to debate. So there, there's there's two schools of thought on this. I, nobody I talk to, including the people who oppose this, thinks that he's kind of in that old line, intentionally racially antagonistic uh, school of politics that obviously George Wallace was involved with. A lot of the people on the left in, in Alabama say, you know, Jeff Sessions long dabbled in. Uh, but what they say is he was happy to make common cause with these people and that a lot of the religious right people – uh, were also some of the more racially conservative people who were his political base. Uh, so there, there's two arguments here. One of them believes, and he was obviously gearing up for a primary challenge against Governor Riley in 06, which he lost. So some people say this is a way to keep his name in the news after he'd been thrown off the Supreme Court, a way to ke- keep involved uh, locally, pick an issue and beat Riley on it. Other people say, well, he's just a, a, a true believer. I think somebody said on background to me, uh, he, he's a nut and a zealot, but he's not a racist, uh, where he actually doesn't believe in a constitutional right to education. He thinks that state education programs, and he's written about this, uh, are basically indoctrination programs. He, he was against like state-funded uh, preschool because it says it's a way to brainwash your kids earlier. And he said similar things about indoctrination in what, like, like, uh, like sort of anti-Christian, li- liberal, secular, take Christians away from your parents and make them communist type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that he actively doesn't believe in state education and thinks that it's a way to undercut homeschooling and hu- undercut uh, religious schools. Um, so his so, so his beef is maybe not necessarily. Uh, a racial beef as this particular push might look like. You're saying it's more about Maybe. like education period. And Probably, <laughs> possibly, at least partially. Uh, but then you have to look but at like, you know, we, what, what, what drives these fights is, is the reason there's so many private schools in Alabama. The reason there were a lot of there's some people on 
board with him was because when Alabama was forced to legally desegregate, especially in South Alabama, a lot of white parents pulled their kids out yeah. of public school, put them in private school, and de facto resegregated large parts of the state. And now all these people don't want to pay uh, you know, a generation later, the kids who went to those private schools don't have their kids in private schools, don't want to pay for the public schools because it's mostly black. And it's because whether that's driven by they don't want to pay for it because it's their money and why are they spending in any public schools when their kids in private school or whether they just see it as the other people and they don't want to spend. So it's tangled in current racial politics as well as kind of old South. You, you used a phrase that I think is is really interesting, racially antagonistic. When you were describing sort of Roy Moore stuff, like whether or not it's blatantly racist or not, there is, I want to be careful how I say this, but like there is a value to doing that in Alabama, right? Like all of my family is from Alabama. I have a lot of racists in my family to this day, blatantly racist, not racially antagonistic, blatantly racist. They look at black people as a scourge on society. They look at them as a drain on the economy. They look at them as people who don't pay taxes and therefore shouldn't be given the same rights as white people. And there is something smart about doing that if you are trying to win. Just just, just blatantly from that, from yeah. like obviously it's wrong and I think it's very immoral and all that stuff. But, I mean, in a place like Alabama – Going there, you know, as often as I do, and 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 seeing people that I that I see down there, like it's a fairly racist state. I and, and like I'm not trying to paint with too broad of a brush on the great state of Alabama, because uh, there are a lot of great things that they have there. But like, if you run as a racist in Alabama, you'll win. And I don't think I, I mean you know I'm I'm, I'm the most sitting here two Southern boys, but I do think that there there's racism everywhere, and dog whistles sure. work. Everywhere, sure. And we've seen oh, yeah, law I mean, and order campaigns work in many other places, and Donald Trump was in his primaries cleaning up in a lot of these states. And you got to remember, George Wallace won Wisconsin yeah. when he ran in the primaries back in the day. So this exists everywhere. But I think your point that I mean, I think Roy Moore was dog whistling on race when he was bullhorning on gays and Sharia. Yeah. You know, he was really yelling about gay people. Yep. Um, so, but you know, and I read the, your story about this about the 2004 yeah. thing, and and what he he talked about the idea that that changing the language in the Constitution would somehow lead to a tax increase. Yes. So a lot of sort of tender Republican language when it comes to that. Yeah, and the question, and and that gets into a very complicated untangling of how much of this is racially driven from the first. Regardless, this is another one of these circumstances that where you have Roy Moore, and again, this is just completely you know on paper, right? If you were yeah. to walk into the National Republican Senate Committee today. And they were to design a candidate on paper to be their guy that they wanted to win uh, a Senate race. A lot of views and a lot of public statements that Roy Moore has would not be on that list, right, from the national perspective. And this is a big number one of those, right? The idea, like, led the fight against desegregating the Alabama Constitution is not something that they would want to, like, sort of put on a bumper sticker for the National Republican Party. So. What does this mean for Alabama? I mean, where is this race at? What's what's going I mean, on? I mean, like, is, Roy Moore is, is, in... is Peter right? It just doesn't matter. This guy just says whatever he wants and is going to do it. Or 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 is I, there a chance that he might be too extreme for? I the think race that there? that's somewhere in the middle. I so so it's a really interesting contrast because Roy Moore. I just gave all his backstory. The Democrat running in this race, Doug Jones, is most famous for as U.S. Attorney managing to reopen a case. And prosecute three KKK members who had been involved in the Alabama and the Birmingham church bombing in 1963 that killed four little girls and injured about 16 others. 
and they'd managed to put one one KKK member away in the 70s, and then it basically just went, like, the the case fell apart, partially because local policemen basically wouldn't take any evidence. And then he reopened it 20 years later and sent the surviving members of the KKK who had committed this, let's call it a terrorist act, because that's what it is, uh, to jail. So uh, it's a very interesting contrast there. He's a, he's a white guy, but he's beloved in the African-American community for that. Uh, it's Alabama. And Roy Moore is really unpopular with a lot of the business conservatives in the state, a lot of the moderate, uh, you know, chamber, not moderate, but Chamber of Commerce Republicans. You know, he had a real primary. Half the reason he won that primary was not because I mean, he had a very devout, you know, serious, uh, fervent following, but also because the guy he was running against had been appointed by uh, the governor who he'd been investigating and the governor has now been forced to resign and possibly maybe facing jail time. So right. there are a lot there's of a lot of damage to that race. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, is that this is going to be a much much closer race than it would have been if Roy Moore wasn't the candidate? Uh, this is a state that is very almost impossible to win for a Democrat, and I think Doug Jones has an outside outside shot at this. Early polling has shown the race anywhere from about a five to ten point race with Roy Moore up. Like Roy Moore, a five Harvard. point race would be remarkable. A five-point race could be another one of those Democrats spending a ton of money, getting yeah. their hopes up, and then breaking their hearts. Yeah. I mean, but th- this point. is a lot of the people who I've been talking to, the the smart strategists who are like leery about John Ossoff, thought that they were you know gonna like setting themselves up for failure. Were a little skeptical and worried about it. Uh, you know, you, you, on background, even on record ahead, we're like this. We're we're getting too far over our skis. On this one, they're like Roy Moore is a person we need to stand up to, and they want to make a point, even if they lose, that they're not going to let this fly. They're not going to let this pass. And the thing is, if this is a but, you know, I mean, Roy, Roy Moore is out there, but if I mean, if he wins this by three points, I think that's that's another data point to show that Democrats are really excited about voting right now and and you know republicans had a bunch of close special election losses in 2010 before they had their white but and also wins. again roy moore is not a yeah. candidate that republican like you can't say that the republican party wants a bunch of roy moore's right this is not the kind of thing no but that they looking are around the country into. i don't think I, I don't think anyone's gonna like we're talking about roy moore in the trump era because roy moore even in the trump era is out there right so but, what you're having is, is you could have both a, a surge of democratic interest and also a depression in republican interest because they, they're like this is sort of like one of those elections yeah but other reporting that you've done uh, quickly about this is that it might be hard because Roy Moore seems like such a gift to the Democratic Party. Yeah. Um, but you've done reporting about how this seems to have not had that Todd Aiken effect so far, right? The Republicans have sort of right. skirted this and not gotten had to acknowledge it because, I mean, Trump makes so much news and so loud that it's hard to sort of nationalize Roy Moore the way that you would expect. Right. right? And, I mean, all the, the same Republican leaders who, like— Actively threw Todd Akin under the bus from, you know, Mitt, Mitt Romney, Mitch McConnell, John Cornyn, all of the Republican Senate leaders, you know, saw him as, as a catching disease and and cut him off uh, in in 2010 2012. Uh, and the, a lot, you know, I mean, they worked against uh, Moore in the primary, but as soon as he won, they endorsed him and now they're backing him. And so I think that that says two things that says a how f- different scandal politics play now in the age of Trump. Mm-hmm. And I think B, it shows where the Republican Party is in terms of how differently they're treating some of these issues. They really wanted to be like the newer, kinder, friendlier, uh, you know, party of George W. and Mitt Romney and, and embrace minorities and expand the coalition and look at the future demographics. And Donald Trump 
you took a match in gasoline to the plan of of changing that and now it's all about base politics and you know I, I i think they tried to stop roy moore and there's a reason they failed and it wasn't just because of their own candidates flaws uh but this is this is very telling that Mitch McConnell has now endorsed Roy Moore, and I think Roy Moore is going to create a lot of headaches for Mitch McConnell when and if and probably if you know when he gets up to the city. So he's trying to play nice with him. I mean, Mitch McConnell spent so much money trying to stop Roy Moore. The, sort of, yep. the, the running joke on the show is if Mitch McConnell thought he had a headache with like Ted Cruz. Oh yeah, just wait until he meets Roy Moore. Yep. Well, again, Senator Roy, keeping Moore. with our theme this this episode of angst, like now the angst is all over the place. Yeah. the angst is about, and the you know, it's about Roy Moore getting a chance to actually get in. Um, so, and just again for our listeners, the the election is what in December, December twelfth. So we're going to have answers to all these Roy Moore questions much sooner than we are to a lot of other Republican questions coming in twenty eighteen. Mm. Yep, and we'll get Roy Moore around New Year's. So uh, happy New Year to DC. <laughs> <laughs> well, should be uh, assuming, should be, assuming he wins. Assuming he wins. Yeah, poor Doug Jones has already been thrown under the bus here by Cam Joseph of Talking Points. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not writing him off. I just I, I think some Democrats are like we really have a shot here. Like maybe. All right, well, there's a, some more. That's an uphill battle, and that's an understatement. Well, thank you, Cam, for uh, talking to us about Roy Moore. And everybody he's reporting on it. He's doing, he's doing a lot of really good stuff. That's at Cam underscore Joseph. Uh, Cam Joseph from Talking Points Memo. Thanks a lot, dude. Thanks good to me. see you. Good to see you. I'm Evan McMorris Santoro. It's the Bill Press Show. We will be back soon. Guess what? We're saying Merry Christmas again. Get social with Bill Press. Like us at Facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Good morning, everyone. It's the Bill Press Show, final half hour. I'm Evan McMorris-Santoro, filling in for Bill. You can see all my stuff on Vice News, uh, Vice News Tonight, via your HBO apps, and also on YouTube as well at, at, at Vice News. Um, but you obviously also watch all that Bill Press stuff on Bill's place. Um, joining us for the final half hour, <laughs> Ben Terrace from the Washington what Post. What a plug. Yeah, good plug. <laughs> you know what? You know Bill. what? Bill's show. Yeah, no. People who like Bill's show, they, they don't find to, They don't want to get us. People don't know that they, don't you know, they get us. need to come find my stuff. Just go I, to Bill's place. I, go yeah, to yeah. Bill's place. Yeah, we, pay, we hook the shingle outside. <laughs> come on. Bill's place All right, fine. with a backwards fine. E. It's a new diner that just YouTube. opened up on Capitol <laughs> YouTube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Twitter at BP Show. Go ahead. Um, and like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Bill Press Show, all right? Wait, wow. wait, wait. We also have a podcast that comes out every day. And how, how do people find that? It's iTunes. If you got iTunes, you can get that. If you don't have iTunes, uh, you can get on the website. Bill yeah, Press what do people say wherever you get your podcast? Wherever you get your podcast. Like, at this point, I feel like people know how to get a podcast. Pretty much. It's sort of like, you remember the early days of the internet when it would be like, you'd listen to NPR, and they would do the thing where they'd be like, come find us at HTTP, <laughs> colon, yes. forward slash, forward slash, <laughs> www dot, that's the dot, not the word dot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think we're past God. that now. Yes, we're past It's that. a podcast. Go you can find podcast. out where the podcasts are. You know where to get it. How much morning drinking do you guys do on this show? It's oh, we're so much. We're <laughs> way in the bag. Yeah. Yeah. We're way in the bag. Um, anyway, well, joining us this uh, they have our Ben Terrace in the Washington Post. You do you don't you don't have a podcast, do you? Not that I'm aware of. That's, that's <laughs> very sad. Um, well, well, Ben, what are you doing here? Yeah, I don't know. 
Ben, the theme of this show has been, I read the story in the New York Times Magazine about angst and teens having all this angst and the new angst of the world. Mm, okay. So um, we've talked about a lot of angst. Hmm. Now we're getting into this, the new, and the next angst, which people are a lot of, are very anxious for 2020 to come. Oh, yeah. And, and to get that party started. Yeah. You were recently in Iowa. Yeah. Where pretty... the starting gun has long since been fired, apparently. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. So what, tell us what Iowa's like. What's going on out there? Democrats uh-huh. are, 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 are doing it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, we're, like, basically in the 2024 campaign at this point. Like, <laughs> I mean, if it's a never-ending election campaign, like, people can just go out now hoping that eventually they can use whatever chits that they've earned. Yeah. And so I was out there with, you know, some uh, some Democrats from the House, Tim Ryan, Seth Moulton, Sherry Bustos. And if you haven't heard of them, then you're like most Americans, but that doesn't mean they're not going to run for president. And uh, the best part about being a political feature writer right now is in every story you can be like crazier things have happened you know like, <laughs> oh, like hey tell me my, my editor's like do they have a chance i'm like no probably not but crazier things have happened so yeah. send me out to iowa so you went out with <laughs> and you and you hung out with like three of them yeah mostly with with tim ryan who like probably won't be president but is definitely acting the most like a guy who wants to be president yeah. congressman from ohio yeah best known for uh running against nancy pelosi for house leadership a couple right. of times right so what's so, you know, you're a Democrat trying to get yourself going, running for president in 2020. What are you saying? Yeah. Uh, well, he's saying lots of things like lunch pail and uh, machines and factory and plant and bankruptcy. He's talking about like, you know, blue collar, you know, working stiff stuff because he thinks that, you know, the way to win back the, the White House is through Trump voters that, uh, you know, might have voted for Obama or might have voted for him and now are, you know, voting for Trump. And so he wants to win him back because he thinks... You know, Trump made a lot of promises, but isn't actually delivering on any of them. So it's it's really interesting to me to see how many politicians have sort of tried to uh, co-opt the message of Bernie Sanders. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm not trying to make this all about Bernie because Bill's a big Bernie guy. But like, there is a language that Bernie speaks that a lot of Democrats haven't spoken for a long, long time. And to watch them sort of sort of pull a U-turn on what they've been talking to try and like wedge the Bernie message. And Tim Ryan's a guy that's been pretty on. On message for a while in, in, he, in Ohio. He has, but he he has. I mean, yeah. cause he, he does represent Youngstown, and he likes to talk about how the country might need somebody from Youngstown to, you know, to represent him. Uh, but he was the first member of Congress, or at least the first member of the House of Representatives to endorse Hillary Clinton. Yeah. And, you know, it's easy for him to kind of bash the job that she did, but he, you know, he was part of that job, yeah, right? 100%. So it, it, it's, it's a little bit tough. But, you know, if nothing else... Uh, Democrats have a very long bench, if not a very deep bench, right? So everybody thinks that they can kind of... That's yeah, 48 candidates or yeah, something like exactly, that, right? exactly, exactly. And, 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 you know, why not, right? Like, there's, there's worse the things JV to do. Remember the JV debates from, uh, 20, from last year yeah, with yeah. all the Republicans? Oh, yeah. Those this are is like, like a Hollywood Squares format. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's how they're going to have to do it. But like, like, a, like, a, like a Connect Four board. Uh, Shadow Stevens is running for president, is what you're telling me. <laughs> they're, they're all, yeah, exactly. Okay. Gotcha. Bruce Valanche. <laughs> What is that? What are these? What is this? Like that's Ben Carson. That's ben gotcha? Carson. Gotcha. Ben Carson said gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I yeah, don't remember I'm gonna, that. I'm gonna, I don't remember that. That was during one of the debates. Now. That was during one of the debates. He said gotcha. Yeah. All right. Ugh. So, so Tim. So, but what about when it comes to Trump? Is 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 Tim Ryan just saying to people like you like Trump is awful? We got to stop Trump. I mean, is that what they're doing? Yeah, sort of. I mean, basically, he's saying you know. Give Donald Trump credit where he deserves credit. He had the right message. He just is basically a con artist. So, you know, if you talk about the right things, you can get people, you know, excited. But then if you can't deliver on any of the things, 
eventually those people will go away. That's that's basically the gist of of his pitch. So he's sta- so uh, he's staring a little bit. Maybe it's 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 maybe not as like openly. It's not like he's not like he's saying he's running because Trump is awful. He's running it's, because he thinks there's things that right. He's not running because he thinks Trump Trump is awful. He says, but he does. You know, he does say Trump is awful. I mean, it, he's not one of these guys who's trying to really straddle the line of being somebody who would work with Trump. He basically says, like, you can't work with this guy at this point. He's proven himself to be, uh, you know, you cannot trust that if you're going to work with him, he's going to actually follow through with whatever he says to you. So after the end of the 2016 uh, primary, the storyline was supposed to be for 2018 and then into 2020 as well. The Democrats are going to be constantly at war with each other over this sort of, you know, it's, it's, it's summarized kind of like, I think kind of badly as Bernie versus Hillary continuing, right? right. But this idea that you're going to have sort of like identity, like like the sort of urban uh, democratic political uh, effort that talks a lot about expanding rights for people and talks about the environment and talks about things like that versus sort of like the more rural uh, Democrats who want to talk about things like, you know, maybe uh, maybe not, you know, maybe make, making more coal jobs, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um that sort of identity politics versus, I don't know, like white guy hard hat politics or whatever. I, any indication of that emerging early on? Yeah. I mean, look, if you spend enough time with these people, they you know they all talk about how it should be about all of these things. But a lot of it is about aesthetics, right? So in the trip that I went on with Tim Ryan, where he knew I was coming with him, it's not like a coincidence of the places we went. We went to a farm. And then we went and hung out with a bunch of kind of union guys in a bar who, you know, said things like Hillary Clinton is the Antichrist, but we love Tim Ryan. And so, you know, it's like that. <laughs> who endorsed Hillary Clinton? Yeah, who endorsed Hillary Maybe the Clinton. Bernie versus Hillary thing is the, exactly <laughs> the, the worst thing I've ever heard. Yeah. I've ever heard so, it was, you know, it was like the people that he was spending time with on this particular trip, you know, it was clear that he was kind of doing the hard hat politics thing. Look, not everyone who acts like they're going to run for president is really going to run for president. There's plenty of other reasons to do it. Tim Ryan loves attention. I mean, he ran against, like you said, Nancy Pelosi for the, you know the the majority or the minority leader in the House or whatever it's called. Is that what you call it? Minority leader in the House? Yeah. Yeah, minority yeah, leader. Minority leader in the yeah, House. Yeah, yeah. Democratic uh, leader. Democratic leader. And, you know, he was bragging to me about how when he did this, he had to hire a satellite truck. When he went back home to Ohio to follow him everywhere he went, he like went to a chiropractor and the satellite truck followed him. He went to a business meeting, the satellite truck followed him because he had so many requests for TV interviews that he didn't want to miss any. So wow. he just had this uplink situation where wherever he was, he got to go on TV and he was like, it worked. Now my message is out there everywhere and I'm on TV all the time. And it's like, okay, well, is that really what you want? Or is it about, you know, <laughs> winning anything? Or so a lot oh, of people do it. Well, it's that like, is seen as a big win to a lot of politicians. Just sure. to be. It's, but so is he, but, I mean, so a guy like... Seth Moulton, right, a first-term congressman, right? Mm-hmm. Is it second term now? Second term. Second term yeah, congressman yeah. from Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Uh, former, uh, you know, he was a, he's a veteran. And Tim Ryan or whatever. These guys are running to be president, right? Or are they running to, like, just sort of get raise their profile? Yeah, I mean, nobody says they're running for president now. You can't, right? It's like being, it's like being insane. If you say I'm not insane, people will be like, oh, that's exactly what a crazy person would say. Or like if you say that you are insane, you're like, oh, obviously you're insane. So everyone assumes everyone is running for president. You can't deny it because it's kind of impossible. Uh, so it's is he running right now? Maybe not. Maybe he'll run for 2020. I mean, he clearly wants to be more than just a congressman. Um, but, you know, that can take any number of forms. You know, we, it's funny because we have Tim Ryan on the show a lot, and he doesn't really talk about it with us. We have Sherry Bustos on the show a lot, and she doesn't really talk about it. But one of the things that they both hit on, and they both make sure to mention every time we have them on the show, is how well they do in Trump country. Right. 
right? Like Sherry Bustos is from Illinois. Um, I, I forget what the numbers are. Her district went for Trump by about 1% and she won handily. Yeah, ha- like by like 20 points yeah. or something, like something yeah. insane. Yeah. And so they can, they both, every single time they make that argument, we know how to win in Trump country as Democrats. Right. Which I think is really, might not be the most compelling argument to be the only reason you get into the race, but like it's, it's interesting. But also in fairness, like a lot of people win in Trump districts sure, yeah. and, and do totally different things. I mean, yeah. so, you know, I spent time with Sherrod Brown in Ohio and, yeah. and he's just, you know, a hardcore progressive, right? He was doing the Bernie thing before Bernie was doing the Bernie thing and before Elizabeth Warren was doing it. And he wins Trump voters. And, you know, Jason Kander, who I've spent time with in, in Missouri, he won a lot of uh, Trump voters and they all kind of did it in different ways. He's and a guy so, who ran for Senate in, 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 in Missouri and lost, but is now seen as sort of like a rising star. You were right. very sure about him too. Right. Well, because, you know, you can't, you can't kick someone off the bench at this point because the bench is like 15 miles long and like you got room for everybody. So, you know, why not? And and look, these people can all be compelling politicians. Um, you know, Kamala Harris is, is compelling and she hasn't been around that long. And uh, Elizabeth Warren is super compelling. And, you know, she's been in politics for however long she's been. I mean, it's like, why not have everybody kind of just Joe do Biden, it? Joe Biden. Yeah. I think so but, much of this comes down to just like the cult of personality stuff. Right? I think that's right. Yeah. Like Barack Obama. I think was a very, very different Democrat than Democrats were used to seeing, but everybody liked him. Right. And he had that personality. It was like, okay, I really like this guy. Donald Trump, whatever you think about the guy, I mean, he's got that giant personality that mm-hmm. a lot of people can relate to or wish that they had. And so, like, even when you look at how Barack Obama campaigned for Hillary Clinton, I, I remember there was a line in, in sort of the last couple of days of his campaigning for him where he said, if you value what I've done for you or if you like what I've done, I'm asking you, if I have any credibility with you at all, I'm asking you to vote for Hillary Clinton. And it rang so hollow mm-hmm. to me because he's he was asking people to to go and vote for someone who was 100% not him. Right. And, like, I think that's something that Democrats are maybe missing a little bit. You know, like you just there's got to be that thing that's just like a personality thing that just rings with voters. Yeah. That's why Al Franken should run. Sure. Yeah. That would be fun. So, um, I mean, look, I mean, the elephant in the room in this whole conversation, it really is Bernie, though. Right? Because Bernie is sort of like the front runner if he decides to run again. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, Hillary beat him but struggled against him uh, in the last election. And, of course, following it, she's still been sort of like dinging him for not being a Democrat, whatever. What are these Democrats saying when it comes to Bernie? Are they ignoring this whole thing at this point or are they do they have a message when dealing with him? Well, I mean, again, it depends on who you're hanging around with. Certain people will, you know, people who definitely aren't going to run for president will be happy to ding Bernie, you know, especially people in the Senate. You know, I was out in Montana with John Tester and he had plenty. He said, Bernie is a great guy, you know, good friends. But like that guy needs to start acting like a senator or not like a leader of the party. He's just a senator like the rest of us. And, you know, that's easy for mm-hmm. Tester to say because, A, he's running in Montana in 2018, which is a state that, you know, doesn't love democratic socialists necessarily. Um, and he's not running for president. But then, you know, if you talk to people who aren't traditionally kind of Bernie people, um, they talk about how how there are some ideas from him that you need to take from. I mean, nobody wants to totally throw him under the bus. I remember reading a story where uh, Senator Gillibrand was trying to say that she was more like Bernie Sanders than she was like Hillary Clinton because, you know, you kind of want some of that, you know, that Bernie juice. Get you want to like, yeah, yeah. You, got, you need some That's of that excitement. stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely more powerful than, you know, Hillary Clinton at this point. So. Uh, I think people are trying to sort of, you know, have it both ways with with Bernie sometimes. But that's so interesting with a giant. I mean, because the thing is, you know, Bernie kind of um, 
came like you know it had a similar storyline as to Trump like sort of unexpectedly mm-hmm. uh did much better than sort of the you know the eggheads predicted that he would when he ran and now but now he's a known quantity so now if you're a democrat running for president you have to be prepared to fight him and i think it might be much more i don't know if it's going to be a much more nasty primary or what but it could be a interesting well you spent situation. a lot of time following around do you think he's going to run again do you think he has it in him i think he definitely has it in him I think he definitely has it in him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't have any specific. I don't have any special knowledge of where he's going to run or not again. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it, I think it'd be hard. I think it's hard to argue. A lot of people who supported him, it's hard to make the argument that he shouldn't. Right. Right. They. I mean, they they, they genuinely believe that he would have done really well. And it's going to be interesting. It's such an interesting cycle that actually happens because we're having we're talking about people who are very old running for president. Mm-hmm. We're talking about Bernie versus Trump would be a, you know, sort of like what a seventy nine year old versus It'll a seventy seven 70... year old. Yes, that's exactly what it would be. It would be quite uh, it, the Werther's original election. <laughs> 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 Ribbon candy in every pocket. Dinner at four thirty p.m. Shiny nickels in every pot. <laughs> <laughs> call us, you never call. <laughs> that would that would be what it would be. It would be yes. So I mean, but but which is interesting because again. Uh, that's sort of where the country has sort of been at. I mean, we had a lot of conversations about that. So it's interesting as we talk about the next Democratic ele- uh, the next Democratic primary and the 2020 election. A lot of youth energy went to Bernie, but there's a lot of youth energy in the country, um, and it's difficult to know exactly where it's all going to go. I mean, how Democrats are going to try to get it back and try to raise those numbers back up and bring people back in. And we talk about the idea of these sort of like two old dudes maybe running against each other and having that youth energy play a huge part of it. It's just interesting. Yeah, well, you know, an, another story. I wrote a story recently about this kind of anti-Trump industrial complex that is like you know forming in in D.C. and around the country. And the big thing is there's so much excitement on the left in general that you know I think a lot of Democrats are hoping that they can just get that excitement and then whoever ends up being the candidate, it can be channeled to them, right? I mean, like people are listening to that Pod Save America podcast, like it's you know sports radio. Like yeah. my 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 parents friends are all listening to it which is strange because they didn't know what a podcast was like a year ago uh you know people are raising money at move on you know hand over fist people are are there's a lot of kind of energy and so i think they're hoping it can get channeled wherever energy slash angst and anxiety and anxiety as we talk yeah, about for sure. like there, there are there, there are people i never ever ever knew were political at all right that are now going all in on whatever your whatever it is, right? Either like impeach Trump or uh, march against Trump or show up at the White House to protest, and like they are, this is everything to them now. Which yeah. we saw in two thousand and nine, uh, sure, with the, on the Tea Party side of things, sure, yes. a lot of people showed up who never really cared that much about politics. Yep. Absolutely. And actually, I talked recently to a former uh, Republican. Uh, like NRCC leader, a guy who used to run the efforts to get Republicans reelected uh, in the in the House of Representatives, and he was there during the 2006 election, which was a bloodbath for the Republicans. It, it was the one that made Nancy Pelosi speaker, and this was a few months ago we were talking. But he was looking at a lot of the numbers, looking at a lot of the. He was specifically looking at at the Virginia numbers, uh, looking into the Virginia governor's race, and was saying this feels like 2006 to him. So there's people who are kind of like the the energy is on the is on the left. It's just interesting to see how it's all going to be used. And as we talked about earlier, with the idea of uh, Bannon now primarying all these Republicans, yeah. that might insert some new energy back in. I, I I heard a crazy theory over the weekend at one of these parties. I was a DC sort of like 
you know, thing I'm not supposed to go to or I'm because I'm an elitist, whatever. <laughs> there was a pig that was roasted. It was delicious. But I went to this party and, like, Wait. some political strategist. <laughs> you, know, you know what they say? You're not supposed to go to these parties. You know, every, you know sure. every reporter says, like, I don't go to the D.C. parties. Well, I went to a D.C. party. Okay, hey, okay fair enough. I and at um, the party, there was a guy who was telling me that, they, that, that there's like this, crazy stra- this crazy idea that Bannon's doing all this primarying as some sort of Machiavellian move to just reinsert energy into the Republican Party because people are sort of, like, feeling down about it. I don't know if it's true or not, but this is the kind of thing that's flying around now at this point. You know what I think is so interesting about well, I, I, I the get, point is I'm trying to make an admission to the audience that like yes I went to a DC party a on a deal. rooftop. We you get know, it. You know, no, I'm not trying to be a big deal. I'm saying like you know you there, there are all these stories are always written like well he never wasn't part of the DC party set. Well. You are. Sometimes I am. Sometimes you can be. You are capable of. That. Personally, I, I mean, no one talks to me I, at them. I stand in the corner and people don't want me there. I, I mean, I break into these things. I but. personally just can't get over the fact that now that there's video cameras here, you still did the reinsert motion for everybody to see. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Come on. I'm a hand talker. The thing that I think is so going to be so interesting about Wait, the why is this the reinsert uh, motion? Yeah, you, I don't want to know. <laughs> I don't think I, I want to know. I was, I was in hostile environment training for yeah. the past three days. It felt like we just turned into animal husbandry <laughs> podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you just reinsert. That's right. That's right. And just in keeping with my old NPR, I'm, do, I'm just doing the, I'm doing the Baxter Black. I think we're in good shape. So you can find this podcast at http colon forward slash. Oh, God. Oh, boy. We held it together for almost we two did so hours. Well. We did so well. We were doing so good. No kidding. Uh, here's, here's, here's what I would say really quick about yeah. the Bannon thing. I think yeah. that. It's it's going to be a really interesting task to see how much of this is regional, i.e., like Roy Moore, where I think that Roy Moore can only exist in a place like Alabama, maybe Mississippi, but probably probably just Alabama. And like there were he was there was talk of uh, Steve Bannon was recruiting Tom Tancredo to run mm. again in Colorado, and I think that Colorado is still a purple-ish state, right? Like, yeah, I mean, you look at what you look up with Cory Gardner. Sure. Uh, you know, he did very well there yeah. uh, in the last cycle. Yeah, I mean, you have Republicans elected statewide. You have Democrats elected statewide. I think that it's it's still an interesting little study of what's going on there. But, like, a Tom Tancredo, I think, is um, an extreme version of conservatism that I'm just not sure if they'll be willing to swap. I, I'm well, not what's saying strange yes, about Tancredo and about Roy Moore, this is what's interesting about this, is that, you know, they've all talk of new, new energy, Bannon bringing new energy to the party. God. Tancredo and Moore are like the oldest yeah. songs in the playbook. Yeah. I mean, my God. We've been doing this show now for 12 years, 13 years, right. almost 13 years. We've right. been talking about them since we started the show. Right. <laughs> right. It's crazy. Right. So um, what's next? What are you working on new? Ben Terrace from the Washington Post. That's a good question. Uh, I got a couple things I'm working on. Uh, I'm thinking about whether there's an appetite for a longer Bob Corker profile. I feel like everybody got to see his uh, his quotes, but yeah. not m- most people don't really know who he is or what he's kind of been up to. I mean, I'm sure a lot of listeners to the Bill Press Show know because they're all very intelligent and politically you know, attuned, but not everybody knows you know, what he's like. And there's, it's, it's interesting because he's kind of, his path into the Senate is, was sort of the same pitch that Donald Trump had to become president. You know, I'm Outside the system, I'm a businessman. I, you know, real I can, estate guy, right? Real estate guy. Yeah. I can, yeah. I can shake things up, and you know, now they've each met each other in D.C. and it didn't necessarily go as well as they'd they'd hoped. And it's a fascinating for very long either. No, no. and it's a fascinating side story. Of what's going on? I mean, you know, we, when Elise Foley was on from HuffPost, we talked a lot about uh, Republican infighting and how, like, one of the most interesting things about the past ten months has been 
learning that the Republican Party that now controls everything doesn't agree on anything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this met, you know, this, you know, this corker, the, you know, the corkers of the world, Jeff Flakes of the world, where they're all where, where, how that all shakes out when we talk about the next election cycle. Um, you know, it's one of those things that makes people who are in the Republican Party pretty nervous about because they, they, I don't think that they really know what's going to happen because you have on the one hand guys like I mean, Bob Corker's writing Democratic campaign ads every day mm-hmm. now. Um, and, you know, the, you know, Sandoval, the governor of Nevada, did the same thing. Um, so it's an interesting sort of like the whole, I don't know, it's all just so weird right now. Yeah, it you is. can't really figure it out. No. Don't try. That's, it's that's not going to get any less weird either. That's the thing that I think. Well, especially is. now we're going to have 850,000 Democrats running for president. Right. <laughs> like, coming yeah, I mean, it's going to be wild. And, and again, I mean, the campaign is underway. Yeah, no, absolutely. It really is. I think you're right about that. No, absolutely. I mean, you have to like, you know, figure out where your money's going to come from. You have to figure out what which support you can get before other people get there. I mean, it, it's just... We only have like a minute left, but you know what yeah. I thought was really interesting was when Donald Trump had a big rally, and I forget where it was, but it was r- not long after he was sworn in, and they were like, oh, this is a campaign event. Yeah, no, yeah. the campaign is paying for these events. I mean, it's it, he's already, the day that he was inaugurated, he signed papers for re-election, which <laughs> no president has ever done before. It was like, all right, let's do this again. But see, I, this is the kind of thing, I, but I like, what I kind of like about it is that there's, this is the kind of like, it's a, there's an honesty to that. Sure, like, no, I, 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 agree, I agree with that. I agree with that 100%. Right, I mean Obama kept his campaign going. You're right. right, you're right. But he, but he, but he's is he going to run again? <laughs> right, right. Like the big. Stay tuned. Of course, there will still be the thing where it's like Donald Trump to make an announcement yeah, about his oh, re-election of campaign. Of course. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. Well, thank you, Ben. Thanks, uh, that was that that was that, that was really good. Uh, Peter, you got anything else no, to bring I'm, us down no, to the no, end no. of this thing, Jamie? Thank, thank you. For, yep, yep. Let me just say, first of all, thank you so much for doing that. I haven't seen you in forever. I yeah, for real. It's, good to, it's honestly, just good to see you. It's just really nice to be back here. What is Bill up to? He's actually in, uh, he has a speech that he's giving in wow. South Carolina. Fancy paid speeches. He's in South Carolina. Oh, yeah. South Carolina. And you know who else is going to be in South Carolina today? Donald John yeah. Trump. Fancy paid speeches. Same place at the same time. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. That's a that's another two hours of radio. Uh, I had a great time. It's always good to be here. I'm Evan McMarty Santoro, filling in for Bill Press, and Bill will be back tomorrow. This is the Bill Press Show.